On this episode of View the Right Thing, it's a tale of two visionary directors who took on the task of attempting to film an adaptation of one of the most highly revered works of science fiction literature many consider to be unfilmable. First up, Wes and Steve hitch a ride to the desert planet of Arrakis to see David Lynch's version of Dune. Father, the sleeper has awakened! He who controls the spice controls the universe! Then they come back down to Earth to learn about the original, ambitious version that almost made it to the big screen in the documentary, Yodorowsky's Dune. His vision was so huge, so beyond what anybody else was doing at that time. Things that George Lucas wasn't even going to try with Star Wars. This is a movie that has its fingerprints all over so many other movies. Blade Runner, William Gibson, Matrix. It's time, once again, for View the Right Thing. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hey, welcome back Hi to everyone. another episode of You the Right Indiana Thing. Jaws. Did you see the look I'm giving Steve right now? It's a pretty intense look. It was sort of like, a, I can't believe you're still making that joke. Yeah. Look. Hey, you're not supposed to be here. But in a friendly way. That's true. We had a pretty magical set of circumstances arise during our last recording. So to recap, the new format of the show is that we do one movie every week, but you're only going to be here every other week, and I'm going to have guest hosts with us. Correct. On those off weeks. But you were here last time. I was here last time for Casablanca. And Casablanca. we did two movies this week. So we basically immediately broke our new format. We immediately broke our new format because mm-hmm. we had an absolutely magical moment with yeah. the Muppet Bucket. We selected a pair of movies that have to be watched as a pair. Yeah. That I have been dying to watch since the day we put this show together. You've been dying for me to watch them as well. Well, and I've been dying to revisit them myself. Yeah. Those movies are Dune, 1984, directed by David Lynch, and the recent documentary Hodorowsky's Dune, Mm -hmm. about Alejandro Hodorowsky's attempt to make Dune in the mid-1970s. Right. We finally drew that one slip of paper from our very crowded Muppet bucket, and we're starting the year off with a, a, a second bang. Because okay. I feel like Casablanca is a pretty good way to start the year it for was. a movie, you know, a, a movie conversation show. Yeah. Now, that was a bang. This is a second bang yeah. to get us into February. We had the big bang, then we had the little bang. Yeah. Happy belated Groundhog Day, everyone, and happy early Valentine's Day. Yep. We had and a, we had to date the recording session. Well, I hardly dated it. I just let him know that it happened sometime after Groundhog, sometime before Valentine. And happy early Chinese New Year. I think that happens just within the next couple days now. So now I've, I have dated it. Um, happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Uh, we're coming into the year of the monkey, if I'm not mistaken, for the Chinese uh, Zodiac. Okay. I myself am a ram. The year of the ram is now concluding. Yeah. The year of the monkey begins. I think I'm a horse or a rat or something. What year were you born? Uh, 78. I think horse. Okay. I think you're I'll take horse. I believe so. The rat is uh, basically the the 12 o'clock position, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. I can tell you why. Um, I mean, I don't know if we need to go into it. All right, we won't go into it. 
Have you, uh, have you in the last week, have you seen any movies in the theater? In the theater? I don't think I have. I have. But what's, what that, what have you seen? Well, I saw two movies, but we'll only talk about one. Okay. I saw Ride Along 2. Ride Along 2, starring Ice Cube and Kevin Hart. Yeah. And Olivia Munn, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Which is interesting, because I just rewatched Straight Out of Compton. Oh, yeah? So it was interesting to kind of go from... The story of Ice Cube to him as an actor. Yeah. In a not-so-great comedy. But we're not going to talk about that one. Um, okay. I saw The Boy. The Boy. With uh, Lauren Cohen. Maggie from The Walking Maggie Dead. From, I, I love Maggie from The Walking Dead. I Mrs. Liked, Glenn. Uh-huh. Um, I liked her on Supernatural. Cool. As sort of a Tomb Raider, Lara Croft kind of character. Yeah. What about um, in that Van Wilder sequel that she's in? I didn't see that Van Wilder sequel, so... Pretty sure she's in a Van Wilder sequel, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Van Wilder 8. Van Wilder 8? The Van Wilder. Still Van. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, the Van Wilder. Yeah. Uh, I forget what uh, the actual subtitle is. Yeah, so this... Um, you know... The eh, boy. Yeah, it was... It was all right. Now, this is about a boy who is a robot, and his mom loves him very much, and he loves his human mom very much, and then he goes on an odyssey to try to bring her back to life? Uh, None of that is accurate. None of it at all. Um, None of it's accurate. No. Uh, So, Lauren Cohen plays a character named Greta. Greta. I have a friend named Greta. Um, she plays an American. Oh. Even though she's British a, in real a life. A Brit playing an American for which, once. Which she does most of the time the anyways. Dead, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, she's sort of running from something. So she's come to the United Kingdom to mm. take a job as a nanny, which apparently pays really well. Sure. This particular job. And uh, she arrives at this beautiful uh, countryside estate. Um, these people have a lot of money, apparently. And, uh, when she finds the, uh, the boy that she's going to take care of, she finds that it's a doll. A doll. A doll named Brahms. A boy shaped doll named Brahms? Yeah, like as in the musician, the composer. Okay. And, uh, Bear McCreary? Bear McCreary? Bear McCreary. Um, Plays who? He actually, he's a composer. He does the music for it. He also does oh. the music for The Walking Dead. Oh, cool. Um, and he, he uses he uses uh, Brahms quite a bit in the score, which was pretty cool. That makes sense. He found uh, some pretty creative places to put the Brahms lullaby. Ooh. Um, but uh, the movie's kind of dumb. Uh, like Aww. It's, I don't know, it's just kind of a dumb, like, ghosty movie. Um, but it does have a pretty good little twist near the end of the film. I, I did not see coming. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like mind blowing or anything. You don't want to spoil it for the, I, viewsters. Don't, I don't think I want to spoil it for the viewsters, but, um, but yeah, I but thought it's a neat twist. Yeah. I thought it was a neat twist. Now, see, I do, I do, I use movie pass. Right. So for those that don't know what movie pass is, it's like a card that lets me go to movies. If they're not like 3d or whatever, I can't go see 3d with it, but, mm. um, it lets me go see movies. One, I can go see a movie once a day. Nice. So yeah. So um, 
for for free. Not for free. Well, you pay a monthly subscription. You pay a monthly subscription like you would like a Netflix or whatever. Yeah. Um. And uh, and so, but with that mentality, I kind of go to these a lot of movies with the idea that it's essentially free. So I tend to not be too hard on on. Um, unless I'm doing like a real critique on a film, interesting. Um, I try not to be too hard on them for the most part. All right. Um, there's there are times where there's just a doozy. Uh, I'm looking at you, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, where I don't just, know what that's supposed to mean. It's just so bad. It was perfect. Yeah. All that martial arts that they didn't do at yeah, all. There's just nonsense that movie. Um, so there's some movies like that where I can't. I just can't get past it, but yeah. for the most part, I'm I'm pretty lenient. I don't I don't think this was the boy was a great film. No, um, but uh, it was okay. All right, for feeling like I didn't really pay for it. Um, all right. So you know, I like the sound of that. I guess. I mean, I it was like, atmospheric. I like your warning about the movie. Atmospheric, you say? Yeah, I mean, the house is beautiful and... Music by um, Goblin? Oh, wait, you already went over who composed it. No, not, not Music by Goblin, unfortunately. Okay. Alright. Um, but All right. But yeah, so... The Boy. It was... Eh. Alright. <laughs> Pretty resounding review. Eh. Fair enough. I did not see The Boy. Um, I'm trying to think of what, uh, what I have seen that's new uh, within the last... Week. I don't think I had time to get to the movie theater within yeah. the la- within the last week. It's making me making me very sad. I'm hoping the next time I do a podcast, I can talk about the fact that I've seen Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. You have. I'm hoping for the next episode. Oh, uh, I will have seen it. I get you. All right. Yeah. Well, that's something to look forward to. I might be going to see Spectre tomorrow over at the three dollar theater. It's very fun. I hope so. I like, you know, I I enjoy James Bond. I'm not a huge Bond fan, but I enjoy it enough. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. in the vein of the Roger Moore era. The All more, right. The more silly does he stunts say that don't make sense. Does he judo chop as he actually judo chops he does, people? He does not. But the stunts don't make as much sense as they have in the previous Daniel Craig films. And it's Interesting. Bigger. It's bigger. The stunts don't make as much sense. Yeah, you know, for the most part in the Daniel Craig films, while they're fantastic... Um, there is some sense of like, yeah, maybe that could happen. Yeah, and this one very it, realistic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In this, it's like, no way that can happen. Wow. But, all right. But they're fun to watch. So, okay. Um, all right. To go into it with the, you know, hey, this is gonna be a fun movie. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. If I see Spectre, I'll go into it with that mindset. Yeah. Should we talk about Dune? I guess we should talk. About, I. All yeah. Right. <laughs> let's talk about dune. let's talk about right. dune baby so, if you're listening to this we assume you've watched dune and hodorowski's dune um we we just finished hodorowski's dune not too long ago i'm still tripping out quite a bit i'll admit it yeah i have never done hallucinogenic drugs <laughs> well, there there's, are, that, there's that moment with the kaleidoscope that definitely is trippy there's a lot of fun uh, there are two movies that I have seen in my life that both made me say, wow, I never need to do hallucinogenic drugs. Okay. The first one is uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, starring Johnny Depp as Hunter S. Thompson. That scene when, uh, pretty early in the movie, when uh, the people are kind of turning into creepy lizards. Uh-huh. Uh, that scene, while watching it as a teenager in the movie theater, made me say, wow, cool. I never need to try hallucinogenic drugs. 
the uh, second time Terry Gilliam, so, yeah, I mean, you know, wacky, quite wacky. The second time that thought occurred to me was a few months ago watching uh, Hodorowski's Dune over mm-hmm. at the Cine Family. I just remember thinking this. It's a documentary. A lot of the animation in it is fairly simplistic, and there's some really, really beautiful, you know, still work, still photos and paintings and whatnot going on. Sure. But um, it's still done in a way that made me feel like I was tripping real nicely. I, I have to assume. I've never tripped. Yeah. But I these don't know this either. movie made me feel like I was tripping. Sure. And I loved it. Yeah. Because well, then when it's over, uh, you know, no harm, no foul. There's some, like crazy hypnotic stuff in it i agree um especially I especially that, like agree. i said that kaleidoscope moment um, yeah when dan o'bannon is talking yeah and he talks about the like this moment yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you're what if you're listening you've probably seen that we're gonna get through this pretty fast because there's just so much to discuss in these two movies that we've almost got to just take the broad strokes yeah. can i can i say something we we debated i had never seen either of these films right um, and we debated about how I should watch them, whether or not I should watch Dune first, like most people have, yes. and then Hodorowsky's Dune, or the other way around. Yes. Um, and we opted to do it the way uh, most people experience the films. The chronological way, I guess you could I'll say. I'll be honest with you. If I had watched Hodorowsky's Dune yeah. first, I would have been much more excited to watch Dune. Wow, really? Yeah, I would have been like, okay, if that's what this guy was doing yeah. or wanted to do what happened what wow. really happened i would have been very excited for it i mean um, i tried you did you, I you tried to you, convince you to do yeah, it yeah and i we didn't know for sure cuz we didn't know anybody who had done it that way so um but uh we watched it uh, the way most people have seen the films and uh yeah. it was some watching some movies <laughs> see i enjoyed myself from minute 1 to minute however many 100 you know how you have a coffee countdown? Yeah. I almost needed a coffee countdown. You almost countdown needed a coffee Dune. countdown? Not for... during Hodorowsky's. Yeah. Um, but for David Lynch's Dune, 1984, yeah. you almost needed a coffee countdown. Yeah. I like David Lynch. Yeah. Um, I like Kyle McLaughlin. I like uh, Patrick Stewart. Sure. Um, What's her name? The woman who played Lady Jessica? She She's all sure. I need in that movie. Um, I like Sean Young. Sure. I like... Uh, I like What's his face? Um, Dean Stockwell. An Dean awful Stockwell. Lot. Sting. I'm, Sting's I'm right in with there. Sting. Uh, but uh, whew, this movie Dune. was slow. Oh. You think so? I was often kind of bored out of my mind. Wow. Out um, of your mind. Yeah. There were moments where I was just like, oh, how. There, actually, I checked the time one time. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were only 20 minutes in. I was very disappointed. Whoa. Oh, yeah. wow. Because I remember thinking this would be the first coffee countdown. This moment here is like, yeah, you've never fallen asleep during our movies. Yeah. And I, I almost always do. And I still did not fall asleep during Dune, but man, did I want to multiple You wanted times. to. Interesting. Uh, see, I first saw Dune as a, a very young child on cable TV. Yeah. And so for me, it's got that young kid sure. feeling that comes along with it, you know? Well, and I like that we have a, a very different like take on it because you know i know there are a lot of people who are big fans of that film and i don't want to be just like trashing their film or anything like that um right you know i definitely respect i got a lot of movies that i really like that people don't don't like so 
um you know there's i definitely have respect for it but yeah. uh, man i just it was it's not my not my cup of tea but let's not let's your cup of tea let's dive into the story yeah all right so we did a, a fun little thing before we started watching it we went to youtube mm-hmm. and we watched the prologue right the extended prologue the extended prologue which is set over a bunch of paintings of things going on yep. and it tells the story of how uh, in the year 6000 Mankind was basically enslaved by the computers that it had created. Right. So, uh, well, really enslaved by men who owned these computers, these thinking machines. Right. That was in the year 6000. Then as time goes by, uh, you know, the people who have been enslaved by these machines, they start to get sick of this, uh, you know, this uh, uh, being being in bondage. They revolt. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, that was... uh, that was known as uh, the Butlerian Jihad, where basically mankind set out to destroy absolutely every kind of robot and computer that existed, right? It's a little um, – it made me think of The Matrix a little bit. Sure, and, absolutely. And thinking that The Matrix was influenced by – I think it's very safe to say that it was. Dune. Sort of this idea – because they talk about in this, in this intro about how um, – humans are slaves and they right. basically are, are essentially mindless like they have no education or anything anymore they're kind of mindless slaves um and that's essentially what the matrix is about is about the slave revolt yeah so against the machines against those dastardly machines so the humans rise up and they decide not only are we going to you know free ourselves from our robot overlords we're going to set out to destroy all robots and thinking machines that we can possibly find um this has very little to do with the movie itself other than the fact that the movie then takes place in the year 10,191 now in this prologue they say 192 but then in the actual mm-hmm. theatrical cut they say 10191 that is pretty far into the future we're talking over 8,000 years into the future from where we, you and I are sitting right now right so sorry grandkids you're going to be enslaved by robots um Maybe not our grandkids, but our, you know, distant descendants. Gosh, where are we? All right, so now all of mankind exists on several different planets throughout a galaxy. Um, And basically everyone is addicted to the hottest commodity in the galaxy known as the spice, the spice melange, the orange spice melange, which is mind from only one source in the known galaxy, mm-hmm. a desert planet called Arrakis, also known as Dune. Bra-na-na-na. Right? The music of Toto kicks in. Wa-na-na-na. Sure. All right, so it's the year 10191. Everybody is addicted to this stuff called spice. They put it in all the food. There are various, uh, uh, you know, modes of what do you want to call it not quite power yeah but yeah kind of power uh the two most important sort of uh societies that are controlling things are the spacing guild who basically mainline the spice in order to hyper evolve their brains and even transform their bodies to turn themselves into navigators and this allows them to literally fold space so they're basically like a living formerly human light speed hyperdrive like out of star wars or out of star trek right so so here's the thing 
Yeah. They're not really hyperdrive if they're folding space, right? Well, it's, it's well, just the idea. When you hear people talk about wormholes, they use the example of, like, if you take a piece of paper and you draw a point here yeah. and a point here, they can't see, the listeners can't see them, and then you fold the paper. So that the points touch. That's a wormhole. Yeah, you're right? folding space. Folding space. So it's not really so much as getting there faster speed-wise... Yeah, you're getting there faster the distance-wise, right? The point is the guild navigators make it possible to travel from very distant points in space So within I had a, question. a matter of moments. So I'd I, love to answer that question, but I'm, I probably can't. I'm So I'm looking at this as wormholes. Sure. And when they show the folding of space. Yeah, they kind of create a wormhole. They you like see look, like circles. They almost fart a wormhole. Yeah, it was And then they kind of weird. breathe a different... It's creepy and it's crazy. It's super weird. Uh, are they creating the wormhole, or are they finding a wormhole? I think they've got to be creating. Are they it. creating it? Okay. Um, but uh, you know, I'm no uh, astrophysicist, so well, I'm, I'm just curious, like what the power, the evolution of spice, like creates for the spacing guild. It creates guild navigators who can fold space. That's all they ever refer to it as. Yeah. Folding space. So, yeah, wormhole. That's a pretty good way to look at it, you know. Um, and basically they can, you know, just float out there, mm-hmm. do their thing, and then uh, a ship that was, you know, hanging out by one planet just kind of disappears and reappears at its destination planet. Quick and painless, it would seem. Now, the other major uh, sort of uh, not quite governing body, but certainly influential body is the Bene Gesserit witches, right? Now, they use the spice to basically uh, 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 help shape their minds so that they can do things like uh, read the truth in what somebody is saying. They can sort of use voice commands. They can just sort of like alter their voice, tell somebody to do something, and that person basically just does it. It's a little like the Force, you know. These are not yeah. the droids you're looking for, the, that sort of thing. They're sort of portrayed as like priestesses. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, you know, the the first one we meet is the Reverend Mother Gaius right. Helen Mohiem, yeah. uh, who is the Bene Gesserit advisor to the emperor of the entire universe, right? Yeah. So where the movie starts is... The Emperor's talking to his uh yeah, kind of, right? <laughs> well no, well, it's just it's just that like this is an example of why I did not dig this movie. Yeah, there's a lot to it, Bo. It's all Bo. E- it, Bo. It, Bo. It's all it's all exposition, right? So there's like a lot to discuss. We we hear all this stuff yeah. and um yeah, there's get a lot of all these monologue. names and races and things. Um you know, it's like you know where uh Star Wars does it right? Sure. Is that they use a lot of verbiage that is understandable yes. already to our language. Yes, they're not Lord, using Bene Gesserit, yeah. Kwisatz Haderach. Je- Jedi is kind of the the first thing you hear that's a little, or that yeah. you read, that is um, not clear. Sure. Uh, but everything else is like Lord Vader. Like, yeah. you understand his Admiral, place in this. Yeah. Grand Admiral. Yeah. Still not sure what a Grand Moff is exactly, but yeah. whatever. I get you. So I just thought that was Princess Leia. But we get a lot of the a lot of um we get told yeah. a lot of information rather than You're not than wrong. Shown. You're not wrong. If you're a fan of the book out there, you know that reading that book is pretty difficult. The book has its own glossary of terms in the back, which you get to flip to a lot while you read. 
I think it took me about five times seeing the word ornithopter and flipping back and looking it up and looking it up again and looking it up again before I realized, oh, yeah, duh, ornithopter is basically their helicopter. It's that right. weird gold flying thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So the movie starts with Princess Irulan, the beautiful Virginia Madsen, in a big full screen close up talking about how it's the year 10191. Here's what's going on. There's the Harkonnens yep. on planet Kiti Prime. There's the Atreides family on, on planet uh, Caladan. And there's the Emperor, Emperor of the whole galaxy on planet Kaitan. Yep. So, cut to the Emperor and his Bene Gesserit, which they're about to have a meeting with the Spacing Guild. Yep. Spacing Guild come into the Emperor's chamber. The witch goes off to hide so that she can listen and listen for the the truth and what they're talking about, right? Yeah. Spacing build, build. Spacing Guild walks in with this great, big, weird, crazy tank. It looks kind of like a train. It's like a big train car, but then the walls of it kind of fold back. Oh, oh hey, buddy. There's Walt. Walt Same. hates train cars. Oh, uh, Hey, buddy. Come here. I'm going to hand them to you. Careful. All right. Oh, yeah. Don't bark into the mic. He's doing a great job. Oh, he's such a cutie. So, inside this weird train car thing is this big, crazy thing that looks like a fish, but with, like, a huge human brain growing out of its face. And that is the Guild Navigator, right? Right. It's it's a horror show. And it's telling the Emperor, yo, Emperor, we run, we control space travel. You want to be Emperor of the known universe? You've got to go through us, because we control the space travel. So, here's what's up, dog. We know that you are conspiring with the bad guys, the Harkonnens, to let the Atreides family take over the mining of the ever-important spice, right? Which is basically our petroleum oil, if you know what I mean, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. The Spacing Guild is saying, we know you're working together with the Harkonnens to let the Atreides take over the spice mining, and then you're going to betray them. And as soon as they've taken over the spice mining, you're going to help the Harkonnens kill off all the Atreides and just take over the spice mining all over again, even though they've been in charge of it for the last, you know, however many years. Right. It's very strange. But the Emperor is agreeing to do this because he believes that the leader of the Atreides family... Duke Leto Atreides, played by Jurgen Prognow. He believes Duke Leto basically could overthrow himself, the emperor. He mm-hmm. believes Duke Leto is so beloved and so popular that he could very well become the next emperor of the galaxy. And what emperor wants that? Oh, gosh. All right. So, then. Whee! Passing the dog back and forth. Oh, yeah. It's like a game of football, but with a cute dog. So, then... Uh, the guild navigator says, also, check it out, Emperor. You have to kill Duke Leto's son, Paul Atreides. Right. And the Emperor's like, certainly, Paul's a boy. Certainly you're talking about the Duke himself. You want me to kill the Duke? And the, the guild navigator's like, no, no, no. I'm talking about the boy, Paul Atreides. You got to have him killed because he's a threat to us. And then he goes on to say, I never said this. We were never here. And all those guys, you know, they scurry out of the room. And as they back out of the room, it's funny because some of them just have, like, shop vacs. And they're just sort of mopping up the water that I guess was created from, I don't know, sliding this great big fish tank around. It's pretty funny. Those guys were actually wearing uh, old body bags, which had been discovered in some location that they went to use for a set. They discovered these body bags uh, that, uh, this is according to IMDb Trivia. 
that had been uh, created in like the 20s for this weird building that they happened upon. And um, they're pretty sure some of them had indeed been used to store a dead body or two in their day. So David Lynch, right? Hey, we found all these body bags here. Let's make guild navigator costumes out of them. Mm -hmm. Pretty scary stuff. So the Reverend Mother comes back to the Emperor and she's like, yo, if those guys want Paul Atreides killed, I better go check him out because his mother is one of me. She's one of these Bene Gesserit witches, right? And, you know, they're a, they're a major royal family. You don't just kill the son of a major royal family without doing your due diligence, right? Yeah. So she travels to Caladan. She confronts Paul's mother because Paul's mother was supposed to have a daughter. She had been ordered by these witches to give this Duke Atreides a daughter so that that daughter could marry one of the bad guy's kids and they could have, you know, a, a peaceful future between these two warring families. Right. But the lady Jessica, she's like, yo, I loved, I loved the Duke too much, man. He wanted a son. I love him so much. I, I gave him a son. They can manipulate their, uh, not quite their genetics, but they can, what the Benner Jesuits do is they get pregnant and they get to determine if it's going to be a boy or a girl. Right. It's pretty wild stuff. They can sort of, uh, you know, make sure transmute it. I don't know if that's the word transmogrify. Maybe. I don't know. But she, she betrayed her sisterhood. She gave in to love, and she gave the Duke a son, a son mm. named Paul, played by Kyle MacLachlan. Yay! So, uh, we see Paul. First, he's studying up on the planets. He's studying up on Dune because his whole family's about to move there. Who enters the room? Thufir Howat, Doctor. UA, whose yeah. name I can first name I can never remember. Wellington UA, I don't know. Yeah. Played by uh, Dean Stockwell, right? Through Fear How it was played by uh, English uh, actor Freddie Jones. Always funny. And then the one and only Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck, yeah. Yeah. who is Paul's basically Paul's uh, self defense teacher, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So he still he's doesn't like, have hair. Still doesn't have hair. Even in 1984, he kept that dome sleek, chic. And shave to the skin. Well, later in the film, he has hair. He sort of does. He has the, you know, the ring. Yeah, he grows, the hair his, ring. He grows his ring out. <laughs> it's pretty cool. He's got like a, a skullet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so what do they do? So they tell Paul, they're like, yeah, you know, you're doing fine with your studies. But, yo, it's time for combat training right now. Yeah. And they bring out this weird robot. Paul straps this weird thing around his neck and puts this gun on his hand called a weirding module, right? Yeah. What does the weirding module do, Wes? It amplifies your voice into a weapon. It turns sound into a weapon. Yeah. So Paul's dancing around the thing and jumping and diving and rolling and shooting up this this killer robot that's coming after him. It's pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart's like, now it's going to be you and me, man. We're going to have a knife fight with our shields. And they put on these weird, uh, they put on these jello like cubes. force field things that make it look like they're sort of walking around in a very stiff uh, jello cube. Do you remember the knife fight? And it's pretty sexy. Do you remember, um, did you, you saw Interstellar, right? I did, yes. Do you remember the little robot that walks around with them? Yeah. It looks like a rectangle. Yeah. Big, that's what they look like to me. Yeah, would they name that robot? I don't remember. I forget. But yeah, it was funny. Uh, one thing I really liked about Interstellar, this may be a spoiler, so maybe I won't say yeah, it. Maybe not. I won't say it. All right. <clears throat> but yeah, I enjoyed market. that robot because it seems so very simplistic yeah, and, and crude. 
And then as the movie goes on, you see it's actually very capable of doing but, a lot but, more things. But like when you see it move around in Interstellar, it, it's just a bunch of rectangles. Yeah. Like, and it's sort of like at first it's kind of almost walking blocks. like it's on crutches. Yeah. But then in that scene where it has to run, yeah, it kind of turns itself yeah. into a wheel, which is pretty awesome. So they, they when they turn into those force field, they put the force field cubes on. It was a they, lot like... Uh, they, it was very rectangular yeah. blocks. But but they were like orange or yellow, like see through. So yeah. they kind of like they were in jello. And they like distorted the image, yeah. kind of like the way a fish tank might. Yeah. Well, a real real trippy look to that there scene. Uh, but Paul and his uh, you know and his master of self defense, they have a fight, and Paul gets the drop on him. Kind of, kind of. But then Gurney's like, "Yo, check it out, dude. My blade's right at your stomach, bro. We would have joined each other in death," as he says. Yeah. So then Paul's like, yo, you dudes are being way too serious, man. Everybody needs to chill. So then the Bene Gesserit witch comes while Paul's asleep. And she puts him through this test. Do you remember the name of the test? I don't. It was called the Gom Jabbar. Okay. She says, yeah, I, I remember thinking Kareem Abdul. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, I looked up some of the words. I didn't look up Gom Jabbar. But a lot of the other words are based in like uh, Hebrew and stuff. Like Mwadib. Mudib, uh, the Kwisatz Haderach, I found out, is actually based in Hebrew. We'll get to that in a moment. Well, we'll get to it now. It sounds very biblical. Yeah, because basically, this Bene Gesserit witch, she thinks that part of the reason why Lady Jessica gave birth to a son, Paul, uh-huh. was because she was trying to give birth to this legendary super being, the Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah, the prophecy. I, yeah, I looked it up. It's got a meaning in... Uh, in, in Hebrew, I can't remember exactly what that is. I could probably find out if I look at it. You want to look it up while I tell the story? Queen Zach. Quizatz Haderach. It's like K-W-I-S-A-T-S or something like that. Um, oh, so okay. she's like, "How? who do you think you are that you could possibly give birth to this super being, the Quizatz Haderach, who would basically be a male Bene Gesserit witch and be even more powerful than all the Bene Gesserit witches, right? And Lady Jessica's like, whatever, I love my husband. I wanted him to have a son. We had a son. So the, the witch is like, all right, check it out, Paul. I got this needle at your neck and it's poisonous. You're going to stick your hand in this box that I'm holding and I'm going to make you think that you're experiencing excruciating pain. But if you're a human, you'll be able to overcome that pain within your mind and you won't feel the need to pull your hand out of the box. If you pull your hand out of the box, I'm going to stick you with this thing in your neck and you're going to die from poison. Right? That's a pretty intense test. You know what I mean? Right. The kid was just having a nap. And now here's this lady being like, yo, hey, how was your nap? Cool. I'm going to poison you to death if you take your hand out of this funny box. So Paul, thankfully, he manages to withstand the pain. He finds out that his hand wasn't really burning on fire and that it was just a trick on his brain. And he is indeed human because he was able to convince himself that the pain wasn't real, withstand it. And she even tells him, like, no female uh, witch of mine has ever, uh, you know, withstood that much pain. How fun is that? So Paul's like, oh, boy. But he's also heard the witch say, that she's she knows of a threat against Paul and his mom and his father. Yeah. But she can't guarantee that his father is going to survive the threat. They basically have that conversation while he's asleep in the room. Right. But he's and not he's really asleep. Listening. And she's like, and he's, Oh, you're awake, aren't you? And he's like, Yeah. Yeah, he's doing that half squint thing where he's like kinda got his eyes open, but yeah. he's trying to look asleep. But it's weird that they were like having this conversation. They say a lot in front of in a the sleeping yeah. boy. At least they said it out loud. At least they said it out loud. Did you find the definition for Quizette's Hatterack? I didn't because every result I'm coming up with is Dune-related. You'll find it. 
Oh, wait. Quiz Zach's Cataract. And, wait, hold on. I might have just found... Oh, no. Will you read that and make sure that it's the right thing? And then I'll, I'll keep telling this story because there's so very much of it. So... Gosh, where are we? All right, so Paul goes and talks to his dad. You know, they're looking at the beautiful oceans of Caladan, and his dad's talking about, son, you know, there comes a time when, you know, uh, uh, blah, 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 whatever, the sleeper must awaken. Remember that, son. And he's basically kind of referring to his own thing where, sure, he's, he's you know, he's, he's Duke of this uh, planet Caladan, and he's a royal, a royal uh, family guy, and that's all fine and good. But by traveling to Dune and overseeing the spice mining for a while... It's going to make them much more powerful, much more rich, right? So in a way, Duke Leto is like, oh, this is me stepping forward. This is me stepping up and gaining even more power than I have. And one day, son, you are going to do the same thing. And boy, oh boy, is he right. But he has no idea in which uh, capacity Paul is about to do that. So he tells him, the sleeper must awaken. And Paul really uh, takes that sentence to heart. Good Lord. There's so much more to go. We're like 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> Not quite 10, but maybe only 15. All right, and I'm doing the broad strokes here, folks. Yeah, All I, right. can't, I can't seem to find... It's like if I if I look at the like shortened version on Google, it kind of gives me... But I can't find it in the page. Hmm. But basically, it means the leap of the way. That's what it is. By means of which an initiate may travel some distance. Some And it's dot, dot, dot. I got an ellipsis here. Um and when I go to the page, it doesn't. I can't find that that sentence. So. Oh, fiddlesticks! Um, so yeah, but that makes sense if we're talking about um, uh, folding space yeah. and um, leading people, right? And basically, the way is like what these Bene Gesserits have been doing. Oh, we've done it this way all this time, but one day a male is going to come along who's going to leap us forward. That. That's sort of the thing. That's sort of what I got when I read the, the definition sure. that I found, which I can't find again. Isn't that fun? Yo, dog. They travel to the planet Dune. Right. To finally move in to the main palace there and take over the spice mining operation. Yeah. They introduce some characters, too. They introduce his buddy. Uh, uh, Duncan Idaho? Yeah. Yeah. And his, his buddy's like, I'm going ahead of you. I'll meet you there. And right. then when he gets there, like... Ten minutes later in the film, he sees him again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you're not wrong. There, there, it, time passage is a little unclear in the film. It's extremely unclear. Um, until the end of the film, then you're like, oh, okay, this yeah. much time has gone by. Yeah, at one point they say, like, it's now been two years that Paul's been running around. Yeah. yeah. Well, I get you there. You see the, a kid age as well. That's true. We'll get to that in a moment. Or ten. Not in a moment. <laughs> in ten moments. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, we're introduced to this character, uh, Duncan Idaho, who's like a, an Atreides family, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Consigliere, almost. He's like, you know. He's like. He's um, really high up within their family's sort of He's like a knight. Business. Kind of like a knight. He's like a knight. That's absolutely correct. So, he goes ahead to Dune to investigate these people called the Fremen. They're basically the native dwellers of Dune. Mm -hmm. They live in the desert. Hardly anybody ever sees them. They have blue eyes. They have blue on blue eyes. Yeah, it's like blue glowing. Within blue. And that's because they live on the planet where the spice is just floating around in the air. Like, it's just so intense there that by being born into it and living with it so intensely, it starts to transform their eyes blue it's within like, blue. Um, uh weed smokers and their eyes turning red <laughs> a little bit yeah a little bit 
You know what they should have done was shown more shots of, like, the Fremen in total darkness. Would their eyes have actually glowed just uh, out against the darkness? I don't know. They never showed it. No. They should have showed us. Boy, oh, boy, what goes on? They get to Dune. They set up their house. They set up these big, you know, shields around their house to protect them. Another they, jello cube. Another jello cube. Yeah. And then they start finding out that, oh, the Harkonnens, the bad guys, the family that previously lived there, left behind a bunch of suicide troops to constantly try to undermine the, the mining operations. Have we met the Baron yet? Yeah, we have, but I haven't introduced him. Okay. So right before they travel to Dune, we meet the bad guys, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who's a great big fat gross guy. He's got these disgusting boils on his face. Yeah, so I had a question about it because there's a guy tending to his face yeah, with a doctor. needle thing. Yeah. And uh, and he's talking about how glorious and special his, his sickness is. Yeah. Um, as if they revered the sickness. So was he treating him or was he giving him the disease was he injecting like mold and stuff into him or was he do you know i honestly don't know i think he's treating him but just sort of kissing his butt by saying uh, like oh like even with your disease you're still uh, so magnificent i almost got stuff. the feeling that it's like super gross i almost got the feeling that like he wanted like i don't know like that he wanted to have the deformity like the doctor did or like no, the Baron the, the Baron. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Because he was really weird and twisted and like... He's just so gross. There's yeah. a scene where he floats under the stuff that looks like motor oil just dripping down over him. And, it's that, it's yeah. that, that scene, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the same scene. It's, it's, it's just... It's basically the Harkonnens are just super gross. Now, while doing some digging on this, um, apparently Dune was regarded as like the most homophobic movie ever. Which uh, I find very interesting because Sting's presence is very homoerotic. Extremely. Uh, but also, I mean, I never really noticed it as a kid. I was just like, oh, that's the Baron. He's gross. Like, you know, there you have it. But there is a scene where he essentially kills and then the young boy rapes the body of a, of a flower boy. And um, so apparently, I guess back when it came out, a lot of people were saying like, well, here's this guy, you know, he's homosexual. He's got these lesions on his face like maybe he's afflicted with aids and uh and you know and then huh. of course they're the bad guys and of course they're murderous monsters and all that and i'm like wow oh, that's uh i i never really saw it that way yeah. i just thought it was well there's the baron he's gross and he's evil you know yeah i never i never bothered to tie his homosexuality to it in the movie they don't even make it clear that he rapes the kid they just make it like oh he floats over kills him and just kind of strangles some blood out of him because he's you know, because he's a monster. Yeah, I, I got. I saw him as more, um, like almost vampiric. Yeah, he's he's he seems very much like, um, like you see like uh, old Roman emperors yes. that are just like gluttons and yeah, um, he just wants it all. Full of yeah, yeah, and he's just like you know, eat whatever I want to eat, kill whoever I want to kill, that sort of thing. So the Baron, we meet him. He's totes nasty. He's got these two nephews. The Beast Raban mm -hmm. and Fade Rautha. Sting. Played right. by Sting. Good old Gordon Sumner of the police. Big, big old. Don't yeah. stand so close yeah. to Raban. <laughs> every, every time he was on screen, I was like, be up. Yeah, I remember that was that was a funny one. He was like. Every time. Raban. 
<laughs> you don't have to put on your red hair. Because they all have kind of reddish orange yeah, hair. Yeah, orange hair. Um, earlier yesterday, somebody had sent out a picture of uh, the Donald Trump Make America Great Again hat. Yeah. But it says Make America Harkonnen because he's got that kind of orange Harkonnen yeah. hair. I need a sip of my iced tea. Yeah. Um, they also introduced, was it in the scene that they introduced Brad Dourif's character? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Who's sort of, sort of uh, like a little, um, like a minion. Well, here's what you got to know about Brad Dourif's character and Freddie Jones's character. Which one's Freddie Jones? Freddie Jones is uh, Thufir Howell with the big bushy with eyebrows, big bushy eyebrows. Okay. and they, the red stains around the They're both the same race then, right? Not quite race, but they are, much like the Bene Gesserits and then the Spacing Guild, they are what's known as Mentots. The Mentots right. are essentially human computers. And I always thought the Mentots were some of the coolest ideas within Dune. Basically, it's that mankind, you know, having been enslaved by computers and then gone and destroyed all thinking machines, yep. then created humans who would be born, and if they want, they can become a Mentot. And they basically start training their brain to just be, like, supremely logic, logical thinkers, right? Yeah. So they're basically the human computers. Like, you remember there's that scene with Freddie Jones where that light flashing in his face and then he goes and says that weird long thing mm. and it's almost like having to write out code right sure so the mentots are human computers each royal family has their own mentot so we meet peter devries peter devries whatever you want to call him played by brad duraf and he's doing that thing about it. it is by the juice of snafu no it is by my will alone i set my mind in motion it is by the juice of snafu that thoughts acquire speed the lips acquire stains the stains become a warning it is by the juice of snafu i set my mind in motion I mean, you didn't think I had that memorized, did you, Wes? I'm not at all surprised, actually, that you have that memorized. I don't know if anything about the juice or the stained lips is in the book. I honestly don't remember. I haven't read the book in quite a few years. I feel like I did not. I did not really do any research, but I feel like I read that the bushy eyebrows weren't, but the lips maybe were. I've got a thing here. Uh, a, uh, from a, a website called therobotsvoice.com. It's a list of 10 differences between book and movie about Dune. The very first thing is the Mentot's eyebrows. There you go. Let's see what it says. Why? <laughs> Mentot's already have an in-canon distinctive feature, the red stains on their lips. Okay, mm -hmm. so that is in the book. The red stains on their lips that make them look like they were putting on lipstick while driving over gravel. This comes from drinking Sappho, a mental stimulant drink. Uh, he says, oh, what's a Mentot? A human computer. Okay, so we've just been over that. So, yeah, I guess having the Mentots have those crazy eyebrows uh, was unnecessary, but it's fun. They look like, uh, yeah, I'm fine you with know, it. it's, it's just a fun look for those Mentots. Brad Dourif comes along and he says to the Baron, yo, dude, um, Duke Atreides wants you to know that Can Lee is still going to happen. Now, what Canley is, is basically a war of assassins. Mm -hmm. So it's not, I'm sending my army over to kill your guys. You better get your army ready. It's, I'm going to send an assassin to try to kill you. Hope you have an assassin who can sniff him out before he gets to you, and you're probably sending assassins over to kill me, right? Yeah. That's, that's what's been going on between these two families. So now the... Uh, Atreides arrive on Dune, and there's been bunches of assassins left behind to try to kill Paul and Duke Leto and Lady Jessica, all so that the Harkonnens can just move right back into Dune and take over the spice mining right. again and be jerks. So when so when Paul and the Duke get there, 
Yeah. They um they meet up with a dude who's been there a long time, but he's not a Fremen. Doctor Kynes, played by Max von Sydow. Yeah. Yes. And so they get in a in a copter thing. An ornithopter. An yes. ornithopter. Yeah, a helicopter. Just say. Sure. They get in a flying thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they're and they're going around and uh, they they warn a like a mining crew. Yes. About the worm and they ask who's on the thing and the dude or somebody says. Don't say who's on here. Right. Because of the assassin. Because they're just assassins all over oh, the geez, place. Oh, I hit my mic. And, you know, it's 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 pretty much just agreed upon that they're just they're gonna be finding assassins from day one and hopefully they'll be able to catch them before the assassins get the drop on the Atreides family. Right. Um so, yeah, what happens? Yeah, we can jump right to that. So Dr. Kynes is the Atreides family planetologist. And basically, he's gone ahead years and years ago to start living with the Fremen and understanding, you know, what is it about these Fremen, these desert dwellers, that make them want to stay on a desert planet? That, you know, make them be able to live separately from the royal families and all that sort of thing? Right. And it's important to also know that, of course, when the Harkonnen were there, they treated the Fremen like absolute garbage because they're the Harkonnen. They're jerks, right? Yeah. So, they meet Dr. Kynes. He helps them put on their still suits, which are these real cool-looking suits that apparently were very uncomfortable. Yep. And uh, he points out that Paul has somehow put his still suit on, quote-unquote, desert fashion. And Paul says, well, it just seemed like the right way to do it. Yep. And Dr. Kynes, in his inner monologue, says, he will know your ways as if born to them. So let's let's address the inner monologue. Yes. It's something I hated about the film. <laughs> Everybody talks uh, to themselves. Oh, yeah. And they all whisper. Yeah. And there's a ton of it in the book. There's a ton of inner monologue in the book. It's all written in italics. But does it A, have to be a whisper? It. And B, do we have to have that? Like, it's just like, and, and half the time, they're whispering to themselves about something we already know in right. the film. Or to explain something. That doesn't need to be explained. That barely needs to be explained. Or doesn't need to be explained. So, at, Like Poison Blade. Doesn't helped. need to be explained. No, so, sort of. So there's there's a moment. Yeah, where a guy stabs another guy, and the guy like, dies in the side, and the guy just dies instantly. Who cares? He dies. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like we've seen people get stabbed and they die in yeah. movies for decades. So it would have been fine to just know that he stabbed the guy and he killed him. Yeah. Um, because that wasn't even the important part. The important no, not part at all. is is why he killed him. Um, we'll come back to that scene in a little bit, but. Then we hear Paul in his inner monologue go, the blade was poison. <laughs> and I was, I'm just like, who cares? Like, I, uh, the movie is full of that. I can only assume that what they did was they made this movie and then for when they, test, when they ran test screenings, for darn near every question that somebody wrote down on a test screening, they of, just why like, did this happen like this? They just said, you know what? Let's just record a bunch of ADR inner monologues and answer all those questions. I can only assume because there's so much of it. There's so much of it. I'm not disagreeing. A with lot you. of information is delivered through through whispered inner monologues. Yeah, it just is not needed. It's nutty, man. It's a nutty, nutty movie. It's a nutty movie that you're going to grow to love. It's like <laughs> I don't know about that. All right, uh, man. Broad strokes. You ready? I, I we're dude, still. You've not painted in broad strokes we're yet. We're still broad stroking, bro. All right. Um, so we are not 20 minutes into this film yet, I don't think. They meet Dr. Kynes, played by Max von Sydow, yeah. and he is going to accompany Duke Leto and Paul 
And Patrick Stewart out on a mission <laughs> in a flying machine to observe the, the spice mining machines, yeah. right? So they're flying out to this one where they know this one uh, miner thing is. It's funny. It kind of looks like a weird bug. If like a bug and a tank had a baby. It's a pretty cool looking little thing. Tank bug. And uh, they talk about how, you know, basically what they do is they set these machines down. These machines just start digging up spice out of the ground. Yeah. And that, of course, creates a rhythmic vibration. Right. Eventually, a sandworm is going to show up and try to eat that machine. Now, these sandworms are huge. They talk about how some of them are 450 meters long, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So any rhythmic activity on the surface of the sand is going to attract a worm. The worm's just going to come right up underneath and swallow it. I like to think that there was a sandworm in Star Wars The Force Awakens when uh, Finn goes to the crashed TIE fighter and all of a sudden it just gets swallowed into the sand. That's what I like to think. And then it explodes. Um, So they're flying along and they're like, whoa, they can see signs on the surface of the sand that there is indeed a worm headed toward that thing. Right. So they call into the the spice mining machine and who's at the controls of the spice mining machine? I don't. David Lynch. Oh, that's right. David Lynch that's himself right. is in there, and he's like, oh, boy, hey, how's it going? I'm the guy in the spice mining machine. You say you got worm sign? And Dr. Kynes is like, yeah, dude, there's a worm coming your way. Where the heck is your carry-all? And Lynch calls around, and all the spotters flying around in other machines are like, we don't see the carry-all anywhere. The Harkonnens probably sabotaged the carry-all. Because all the carry-all has to do is fly over, scoop the machine up, and all the spice gets taken away, and everybody's safe. Not today, dude. Today, that worm is coming for that machine, and the carry-all is nowhere to be seen. So the Duke orders Dr. Kynes. What? Oh, just, you're a little hot on the Oh, boy. Well, I'm so excited. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm so excited because this scene is, could be great. (laughs) The Duke orders Dr. Kynes to land the the ornithopter, and he's like, everybody run. Get in here. We're going to fly you away. I don't care about the spice. I don't care about the machine. I want to save your lives because you're my employees so they all come a running out they fly away in the ornithopter and they look out the window and this giant worm mouth comes up out of the sand right underneath the machine and just sort of closes and then there's an explosion as the machine explodes and then the worm sinks back away and dr kynes probably has an inner monologue moment where he says like wow this this ruler values human life more than he values the spice and his machinery that's pretty awesome. I like this guy. You know what, though? Um, to me, it seemed like that scene was um, not really about that. Like, the whole reason that that scene was there was not really for that. Whoa, what do you Misdirection. think it's for? I thought it was about Paul. Yeah? Because he spots... He's he's never been there. Right. And he's put on the suit and they, the dress that he's... He, they have the inner monologue because yeah. when he puts the suit on, Max von Sydow has that inner monologue about the prophecy about how he will come and will know the ways of the one will come yeah. a voice from the outer world yeah go but on. know the but know the ways of the of the Fremen of the Fremen like he's one of them right um, so Paul spots is the one who spots the worm even though nobody else spots it That's true. and he spots it and tells them where it is super accurately because uh, David Lynch says. Uh, his character says, uh, well, that's really accurate reading. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like, hey, this is something special. This is like a Luke using the force. That's a good call. 
Um, Ball is using his desert power. Yeah. And that's what I that's what I got out of that scene. Like I felt like it was um however <laughs> Yeah. I also felt like, at the same time, like, uh, the scene is specifically just for this one thing. Oh, well, see, I feel like it was for two things. All right. It was showing the goodness of Duke Leto. I, I can see your way. It was showing his altruism, and it was showing Paul harnessing his desert power that sure. he doesn't even know he has yet. I can be swayed to your... your, your yeah. So, they save the guys. They fly back to the palace. Um, while they were away, Lady Jessica has met the shutout Mapes, who is a little... Fremen woman, who is going to be a servant within the house. Played by, what is her name? Her name escapes me. She's on one of the big uh, crime shows she's these days. Been, uh, she's really? been in so much that cool stuff. That woman's still alive? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's on, uh, she's on, uh, is it NCIS LA? Maybe? No, really? She's on one of those shows. She's been in stuff forever. Yeah. Um, um, she One of her first big roles was she played a man in some like mystery movie. Um, but what? anyway, so she plays the shout-out Mapes. She played a man? She's going to be a house servant to the Atreides family. Her name is Linda Hunt. Linda Hunt. Yes, you've seen Linda Hunt. I mean, I know you have. I'm looking at you. But I mean, the people who are listening, if they've even seen Dune, they've seen Linda Hunt. She, uh, NCIS Los Angeles, by the way. Booyah! Um, That's exactly what I said. Kindergarten cop. Kindergarten cop. I mean... What's she, the principal, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, just trying to like scroll through here, just to dragonfly. Oh, cool! Um, Maverick, nice, ready to wear. Oh, Pret-a-Porter. Yeah, so, yeah. She was Miss Schlowski in Kindergarten Cop. Nice. She Devil. I remember her as She Devil. <laughs> yeah, Popeye. Right. She was in Popeye. Who's she in Popeye? Uh, his, Mrs. Oxhart. His oh. his mother. Oh, his mother. It's me, matter. All right. Stepping on the gas, my friend. I don't believe it. Shout out, Mapes. is like, oh, Lady Jessica, I'm a Fremen and I work for you now. And like, you know, I'm I'm here to look out for your family. So I'm cutting way forward because we have to. Uh, Paul's in his room at night. Yeah. And he hears this thing float into his room. It's called a, hunker, a hunter seeker. It's basically a big floating syringe full of poison. Somebody's operating it. They can sort of see through a camera in there, but they can't see all that well. And it's just floating around in the darkness, making a little bit of noise, trying to find Paul so it can kill him. And Paul's inner monologue is saying, oh, crap, there's this thing. If I move, it's going to notice me and kill me. But if I call for help, whoever opens the door is going to get killed because it's just going to go for the movement. Yeah. And then poor shout out Mapes opens the door. Maybe she's delivering fresh towels. I don't know. And the hunter-seeker flies at her. Paul manages to catch it, slam it into the headboard of his bed. Or maybe just the wall. No, it came out of the headboard of his bed. Extra scary. Because it was waiting in his own bed. Yeah. He slams it into the wall and breaks it. And the shout-out Mapes is like, yo, dog, you just saved my life. I'm a Fremen. I owe you a life debt. Like, you saved my life. I now have to make sure your life is always safe. So she tells him something about how there's a traitor Right? There's a traitor within the House of Trades. Not only are there all these suicide troops hidden trying to kill you guys, yeah. but somebody higher up within the family ranks is literally betraying you dudes. Yep. So they send a search party out. They find a dead guy who was running the Hunter Seeker, probably poisoned himself to death. Obviously, he was a Harkonnen spy. Well, then, it doesn't take long before... 
what is it? Dr. Yue. Yeah, the Duke. Played by Dean Stockwell, is observing some dead bodies because they just keep finding all these Harkonnen spies. Mm -hmm. They kill themselves. As soon as their plan fails, they kill themselves. And they're just bringing them all these dead Harkonnens. He's x-raying one. And he's got this cool x-ray machine, and he slides the machine over this Harkonnen body, and he sees a little rolled up message like in the abdomen. Yeah. And he's like, oh, there's my message. Yeah, in his head probably. And, uh, he yeah. says, there's the message. There's my message from those jerks, the Harkonnens. And then somebody comes in and he slides it away and, you know, everything's fine. So then, Duke Leto is walking around in the middle of the night and he finds poor little shout out Mapes dead on the floor. And he's like, what? Who the heck did this? And then what is it? He gets stabbed or something? And it's Doctor Yui. Uh, was it was it the little flying thing? Maybe might have been the little flying thing or something. All I know is he gets injured and Doctor Yui's there, and he's like, "Ah, oh, Yui, what? You're betraying my family." And Doctor Yui's like, "Yo, check you're, it out. I am betraying your family because the Harkonnens have my wife held hostage, and I." swore that I would help kill you in order to get my wife back. Yeah. And I'm real sorry that, uh, you know, I've betrayed your family. And he's got that diamond on his forehead. That's to signify that he's been put through, like, proper conditioning so that he could never betray whatever family he works for. But it's, you, you it, hold the guy's wife hostage, you know, he might, he I, might, yeah. he might overcome that. It's kind of like, um, you know, the line you don't have to wait in. When like for you go you fly on an airplane yeah and some people don't have to wait in line because they've been pre-screened right it's like that it's a little like that um, it's basically saying Doctor Ua is totally safe because he's just a doctor and he's been literally he's programmed sworn. and conditioned yeah. to only take care of your family he's but been brainwashed he's betraying them oh how but what does he do he says look you're gonna die but you're not gonna die yet that's right you're baron, gonna help me kill a man the baron's gonna be all like gloaty and get up in your face he's gonna get in your grill and so i'm gonna put a poison tooth he pulls the duke's tooth face. right out of his yeah, face yeah it's a really cool little device yeah um and he's like he puts the tooth in he's like bite down on this and then breathe in his face and you'll poison him with this gas uh and then you'll kill him and it'll all it'll it'll be worth it that's right and uh yui says you know because they got my wife and darn it I'm, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kill these guys for what they put me through and I'm sorry, but he also says I'm going to help make sure that your son Paul and your wife Lady Jessica are able to escape. Thank goodness, right? Oh, boy. So, not only was UA waiting in the dark to kill Duke Leto, he was also completely powering down the house shields, right? The house shields go down. The Harkonnen attack. Hi. We've got new visitors here. View the right thing. The Harkonnen attack. And it's awful, man. Because uh, UA powered down the shields. The Harkonnen can just get right in. And he also destroyed all the weirding modules. The thing that turn, the, the guns that turn sound into uh, violent energy bursts. So boy, oh boy. There's a big bloody battle. Duncan Idaho's got his shield on. But they send this weird drilly bullet and it slowly penetrates through the shield, and it kills him in the head, and it's real sad. And then um, everybody's fighting, and Paul and Jessica get tied up and taken away. Well, hold on. What? So Duncan Idaho gets killed. I told you, man. Broad strokes, baby. So they, so they set this, like, I know, but I want to talk about, I, I, want, I, I want to like be clear about what I was confused or didn't really. 
<laughs> get I almost Earth. feel like there's too much confusion to so, even try to clear these well, things. Up. And this one's not so, so much confusion, but it's like an example of why I didn't really dig the movie. Yeah. Um, they introduce this character like he's important. Duncan Idaho. He shows up as soon as they get there. Yeah. As if like they sort of set up like he's going there years before or something, but really it's like a day before. Yeah. Um, and then. You don't hear or see Duncan Idaho again until he dies. Like, it's supposed to mean something to us. Well, he comes back to tell the Duke that, you know, these Fremen that everybody's so worried about aren't really just a tiny faction. They're actually that been, possibly hundreds of thousands of them. Couldn't that have been anybody? Like, couldn't that have been Max von Sydow's character who's been there so long that his eyes have turned blue? Well, like Duncan Idaho's very important in the book. And in the sequels to the book, um, there's... If I'm not mistaken, it's an android that comes along that is essentially a clone of Duncan Idaho. I forget if it's a clone or if it's an android, but basically Duncan Idaho returns to the family Atreides and becomes an even more important character. So it's sort of like here he is. He was Paul's friend. He was a loyal soldier to the family. He gets killed here, but had we seen the sequels, we would have seen a lot more from Duncan Idaho. That's I can understand your frustration. I'm you, not saying they handled it correctly. Viewsters, my eyes are rolling. I'm just hard. letting you know why he was there at all because sure. he becomes a much bigger character to the bigger story of. So Doom. should they? You think they had an idea that they were going to make? More I think of these they movies? were expecting to make sequels. Uh. I I even read some trivia saying that like you know there was a lot of talk of the sequels, but then when the movie cost. $42 million to make and only made $30 million at the box office. It was just like, that's it. That's a huge yeah. bomb. No sequels for Dune. What can you do, right? Yeah. What can you do? Duncan Idaho gets killed. Wes is heartbroken because yep. he loved that character so much. Yep. <laughs> uh, what happens? Uh, uh, Baron Harkonnen is gloating over a tied-up Paul and a tied-up Jessica. He spits in Lady Jessica's eye, which is very gross. Um, especially... I don't know about it, especially. It seems dis- but, diseased. Like, it's like, ew, that's yeah. getting in your eyes. And according to the books, he's actually like a, maybe a second cousin or like an uncle to her. Yeah. So it's kind of gross that he wants to do this really creepy, gross exchange of bodily fluids to his own niece. Yeah. It's real sick. Um, but boy, oh boy, does he enjoy doing it. And uh, so, you know, he's like, all right, take these two off and we'll we'll deal with them later. Let's get the Duke in here and mess with him, right? Yeah. So, Yue comes in with the Duke. The Duke's dying of his stab wound, but he's still alive. And Yue's like, all right, cool, man. So I betrayed this guy that I swore to protect. Um, How about, you know, you hook me up with my wife now. I want to see her. And the Baron's like, oh, yeah, no problem. You're going to see your wife right now. And Peter, the Mentot, stabs Yue in the back, killing him. And Dr. Yue falls to the ground. And Dean Stockwell very beautifully says, you'd think I don't know what I've gained? For my wife! And then he dies. Yeah. And poor Duke Leto is now alone, basically paralyzed, dying on a slab, and the Baron comes over to gloat in his face, but he moves away, and Peter, the Mentot, gets in his face, and the Duke Leto, you know, he's losing blood. He's tripping out. He looks at Peter's face, and he starts to see the Baron's face, and he says, remember, the tooth, and he bites his poison tooth. Yeah, he's, he, in his head, his monologue, once again. In his monologue, and he breathes the poison gas into Peter's face, and Brad Dourif has one of the best deaths, one of my favorite deaths ever, which is he inhales a bunch of the gas, and he just sort of gets up and staggers, and then he just goes, 
ah! and falls over. He throws dead. his arms forward too. Yeah, dude, it's super it's weird. Like, it's such a great death. It's so simple. It's not overdone at all. It's kind of like it's a, almost like you're expecting so much more, and then he's yeah. just I'm dead, and he's he it's kind of like out of the scene. Uh, when you see, um. Uh, a cartoon character in a Bugs Bunny cartoon or like Pepe Le Pew. Yeah. Like all of a sudden like pretends to die or the cat smells yeah. it and like all of a sudden just flips on its back with its legs straight out. Right, right. That's what that reminded me it's of. It's a little bit like that, yeah. but it's it's just, I love that moment so much. It's just like, it's almost like for a second he's about to say like, maybe I'll be okay. And then it's just like, nope, not. Nah! And he's just dead. Yeah. I love that moment. The, so the, the, the part with the tooth. Yeah. Uh, again, there's another moment where it was like, we saw his point of view and saw that he thought he was seeing the Baron. Yeah. We didn't have to hear him go, The tooth. Oh, yeah. What did UA say? The tooth. Remember the tooth. And, like, we didn't need that. That's a really good example. And I, I think that's why this movie wasn't successful, is, like, it it felt like it had to constantly hold our hands. Yeah. And it, and it felt like it needed to inundate us with exposition. And again, going back to Star Wars, because Star Wars had just done three films just right. prior to this. Right. Star Wars built like all this goodwill and sort of like bridged the gap between um, sci-fi and fantasy and yeah. um, what like the average like Star Trek was very technical, yeah. you know, um, and it was very scientific, and um, there was a reason why. Trekkies at the time were viewed the way that they were. Right. Um, and S- Star Wars sort of bridged that gap for people. And right. then here comes this movie and it like undoes all the goodwill that Star Quite Wars possibly. had done. You know, according to trivia sites, yes. Lynch turned down directing Return of the Jedi mm. to direct Dune. Well. Just let that sit with you for a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine that he would have gotten away with his David Lynchy ways right, with Return true. of the Jedi anyway. So that's probably a good reason why he turned it down. He probably had no control. Very true. Very true indeed. So he gave us Dune, and what a gift it is. Because mm. where are we? We're in like the first 30 minutes of the movie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Broad strokes. So Duke Leto does not manage to kill the Baron as Dr. Yue had hoped. So the evil, filthy, gross Baron is still alive. Yep. And boy, oh boy, is he thrilled about it. Yep. So now he controls Arrakis all over again. It's been like a week since he gave up control of Arrakis. And now he's back and he says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the Beast Raban in power to oversee Arrakis. And he's going to squeeze these people and torture them and drive them crazy. And then... Just when they're thinking about revolting against Raban, he's going to send in beautiful Fade Routha Harkonnen as this sort of savior to come along and be like, oh, my cousin, uh, you know. He's so silly. He's a bad guy, but now I'm here to make everything good for you because I'm Fade. And they just sort of gloss over that idea because now it's time to follow Paul and his mother. Who are captured. Who are captured, tied up gagged so that they can't use their Bene Gesserit voice powers but well she's gagged yeah because they don't know that he has voice powers yeah but Paul and Jessica as they're laying there in this spaceship which is probably taking them to the Baron Harkonnen's uh, ship to go back to Gidi Prime um, Jessica notices that 
there's a, a little diamond shape carved into something. And that's UA symbol saying like, hey, I left something for you. So she's like, whoa, cool. UA's trying to help us out from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. So Paul uses the voice. And, uh, and she said in, in her head goes, she's says, trying, he's trying the voice. voice. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, he, you know, he says, uh, undo my mother's gag. He does. She tells the one bad guy, Harkonnen, to stab the pilot to death. And he does with a poison blade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, inner monologue. Paul notices it and goes, a poison blade. Uh, also, just I, you just kind of gloss over the fact that that dude was fully going to rape his mother. That's true. That's probably true. The Harkonnens are notorious rapists, and they're awful. It was crazy. They're pretty awful. They're, they're totally awful. What am I saying? They're not even pretty awful. Yeah. They're totally awful. Uh, so the pilot gets killed by the poison pilot blade. Pilot gets killed. Paul manages to un, you know get their restraints undone, and they manage to sort of crash land, uh, kind of kind of safely out in the desert. But you know they're just on this little piece of rock. They're sort of safe from worms, but they're not they're not any place where they're safe from everything else, right? Yeah. Any Harkonnen ship could come along and scoop them up at any moment. Yeah. So they put on the still suits. In case you're not familiar, still suits are these suits that they wear that as they walk and breathe and sweat, it reclaims their body's moisture and turns it into drinkable Super water. Super cool idea. Super even cool their idea. waist. Even their waist. That's even true. their waist. That's true. But it's super cool, like, this idea that it, like, separates the salt. He said, like, the Max von Sydow's character right. uh, references that, like, it even, like, separates the salt from the water so you can drink it. So you could basically be out in the in the worst part of the desert for right. days. Days and, you'd and be days. Fine. You'd be fine. With a properly functioning still suit, you'll be totes fine, bro. So they put on these still suits and they see a great big mountain in the distance and they're like, we have got to get to that thing and we have to walk without rhythm so we don't attract a sandworm. And boy, oh boy, do they attract a sandworm anyway. Well, they tried it. They, they, they put this thing in the ground. A thumper. A thumper. Yes. Uh, which just is a just a rhythmic like thump, 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 right. thump. So, and then they try to walk without rhythm, but they don't do that very well. Right. The worm's supposed to go for the thumper, but no, no, no. It can tell something tasty and living is going mm-hmm. that away. So it starts chasing them. Yeah. They run, run, run. They get to the mountain. They're hiding in a little crack in the mountain. The giant worm is like poking his face against the mountain, trying to eat them. Jessica talks about how it's so loud and it stinks probably. Oh, Paul mentions he can smell the spice, like just. 100% spice when is he all makes they're breathing this, in. He, when he makes this observation, yeah. the spice and the worms are, are the they, same. Are they connected? Are they the yeah, same? Yeah, we hear this monologue again. Yeah. And then the worm breaks part of the rock apart, right. and Paul falls. Goes sliding down several yeah, crazy the rock most slides. convenient fall that he could have had. I know, because usually when you slide down the face of a mountain... You're not happy when you land. He, the but he only, landed just fine. Only would have been more convenient if he had slidden into like a jetpack <laughs> or like a parachute. <laughs> that's weird. I just had deja vu. Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. Moving Whoa. on. Maybe we'll find Moving out. Moving on. All right. So, uh, yeah. So they're safe. And so, you know, well, the worm buggers sa- off. They're safe and the worm buggers off because there's another thumper yes somebody else put another thumper farther away so the worm goes after that thumper they're safe they're on solid rock they're gonna be fine but they go venturing further into the mountain and all of a sudden 
They're met by the Fremen. Fremen. Stilgar. Fremen, crazy Fremens. Yes. Led by Stilgar, played by... The guy from Ed, Ed from Twin Peaks. Ed from Twin Peaks. His name escapes me. He was also the pastor in... Uh, or the Silver Bullet. In Silver Bullet, one of my I favorites. I knew where you were going. And also, uh, he's also the, the main bad guy in uh, The People Under the Stairs, right? Um, Everett McGill. Everett McGill. How can I forget that? Yeah. Everett McGill. Good old werewolfy McGill. Yeah. So, he's there. He's leading this band of, of Fremen. Uh, Jessica gets the drop on him and gets him in a weird headlock, literally a weirding way headlock. Paul runs off, but he decks this dude. Now, they didn't address this in this version of the movie. In the extended version, that one guy jumps out at Paul and Paul decks him. And then once, you know, Stilgar is like, oh, hang on a minute. These people are strong. We should welcome them as one of us. The guy that Paul hit is like, yo, dude. This kid jacked me up. I demand satisfaction. I want him to have to fight me before we let him this in. Is the book? This is in the book and the extended edition of the movie. Mm. And so, you know, Stilgar's like, yeah, dude, you attacked this dude. You know, he's my friend. He's, he's in my tribe all my life. I got to let you, I got to let him fight you if I'm going to let you in. Paul has to kill that guy. Cool. But he doesn't. They don't show it in this movie. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, he spares that dude's life. And then that guy's like, well... You're stronger than me, so I'm happy to have you on my side in a fight. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's cool how the Fremen do that. You know, they recognize like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. These people are strong too. Let's make them our friends rather than our enemies. That's a smart way to do it. So. We're, this movie's losing me again. Now Paul and Jessica have been welcomed into a tribe of Fremen fighters, desert dwellers. Yeah. And now things are about to get crazy. Because they agree, hey, we'll teach you Fremen how to use the weirding way, how to use these weirding modules. Now you got totally new fighting styles and weapons on your side. We can defeat the Harkonnens. Where did the weirding modules come from? Because they were destroyed by UA. I have to assume they've figured out how to build new ones, I guess. That's okay. The only thing, <laughs> that's the only thing it could cool. be. They do not explain it at all in the movie. And they don't exist in the book at and he, all. And he meets Chani. He meets Chani, played well. by Sean Young, who he's been dreaming about. He's been having dreams about this girl, Chani. In fairness, he's also been dreaming about Sting's character. He's also been dreaming about Fade Ralph the Harkonnen, played by Gordon Sumner, a.k.a. Sting. I was trying to think of another police song that I could work into a pun about Dune, but nothing came to mind. Yeah. Walking on the Dune, right? I hope my legs don't break. So he's going to lead these people and teach them the fighting weird yes. ways. Paul's like, yo, check it out, guys. We're the Fremen. We're the native people yeah. of Arrakis, Dune, the desert planet. The spice only originates here. If we're the natives and the spice only originates here, that means we should be controlling it. And the only way to control a thing is if you have the power to destroy a thing. So he's like, so what we're going to do is we are going to just wreak havoc on all the Harkonnen spice mining operations and we are going to bring spice production to a standstill yeah. and then the emperor himself will have to face us well and there's another part to of their agreement of bringing them in to be a fremen and that's the the prophecy well his mom has to become the new Priestess. That's right. Their reverend mother is too old, and yeah. they need a new reverend mother, so they decide it's going to be and Paul's I, mom. And I only bring that up because because the, she's pregnant. Well, the water, the life water, the is, water of life is really important to yes. the, to the plot. Wrong. Did the movie explain where the water of life comes from? Nope. 
All right, the water of life is basically water that's regurgitated from a baby sandworm when it's born. Gross. It's pretty gross, but it's very intense. Which makes it explain why, why it's, it's full of spice thing. right? and it kills people. You know what the spice basically is? No, no. Basically worm poop. It's basically the poop of giant sandworms cool. being left in the ground as they mill around underground. And then we humans are mining it up and putting it in everything we consume. Dude, man, people lick toads. I think people will do anything for a high. There you have it, dude. There you have it. But yeah, that's basically what it boils down to. So, God almighty. So they just wreak havoc. Uh, at one point, they're in a fight with some smugglers. And Paul discovers that Gurney Halleck, played by Patrick Stewart, yeah. is still alive. He's and got he's a like, badass skullet. He's got a badass skullet. And he's like, oh, my God, I thought you were dead. And Paul's like, I thought you were dead. And they they hug, hug in the middle of a battle. In the middle of a battle. And it's beautiful. So now Gurney's back in the mix. Um, they train up, you know, all these Fremen to be weirding way soldiers. They train up the Fetakeen, who are Paul's, like, 15 sort of... Secret Service guys. They put blood on their shoulders so, so that you recognize them. It's all cool. And at this point, they explain that the the guns, the weirding guns, yes, um, work on with certain words. Yes. So you use your voice. It's not you just don't go la, 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 la. right. You have to use certain words. And when they're training and learning, they well, we didn't address his name. Oh, boy. He had to take There's on so it. much. To he think. had to become part of the yes. tribe. They would have a name that he would be known by yeah. out s- to all of the people yeah. and then a name that they would use out in the open yeah. so they wouldn't necessarily, so they could like, I don't know. Yeah, so his name within the tribe is Usul, meaning Usul. the strength at the base of a pillar and then his name that the rest of the world will know him as is Paul Muadib, Muadib. which is the name for the tiny uh, right. desert jumping mouse yeah. that populates Dune and there's a there's two moons of Dune. One of them has a funny crater on it that's shaped kind of like one of those little mice. Yeah. So Paul's like, I want to be named after that funny mouse. little mouse on the moon. Muad'Dib. And the guy says, that will be Muad'Dib. And also, as part of the prophecy, right, mm-hmm. um, when they refer to one will come, the voice from the outworld, he will be the Mahdi, right? Sounds a lot like yeah. Muad'Dib. And voice is important, obviously. Yeah. So it's sort of like, oh, he chose to be called this thing that sounds a lot like Mahdi, Muadib, yeah, you know, closer and closer to the prophecy. So you look so annoyed right now. <laughs> this whole thing is just, there's just so much. Uh, so um, the so they're learning to use the words. Yes, and some guy is just like Muadib, and it yeah. like well, he's literally trying to address Paul. Yeah, he's trying to say, oh. "Hey, Muadib." Oh, I thought he was just testing the gun out with the name. No, but then he notices his gun starts to react. Yeah, to it. I mean, it's like super, super powerful, and they realize his name is like a killing word. Yeah. It's like the Avada Kedavra. <gasps> you said it out loud. Yeah, the killing curse. What if I had dropped dead when you said that just now? I mean, I would have felt a little bit bad. You would have, but you know what? It would have gotten me out of doing my tapes tonight. I would have blamed J.K. Rowling. <gasps> oh my gosh! Lawsuit. I believe it, dude. Yeah, so I want you to sue. So. Oh boy! He All remembers right, so Paul the, Muad'Dib is leading the Fremen. He, he remembers, remembers what? the the spice and the worms are the same thing. Yeah. So they go out and they're like, "We got to catch, we got to catch those worms." Well, part of uh, part of the Fremen sort of manly rites of passage is you have to learn to ride a worm. But he says, "If I can't, if I can't control the worm, yeah. we can't we can't fight this fight." Basically, yeah, yeah. Because that's just part of the Fremen tradition. You have to go out. You have to learn how to ride Shai Hulud. So he takes a, what looks like a shovel. A maker hook. Yeah, and he stabs a worm. 
Yeah. And he gets on top of it and he rides it. Yeah, what it is is they dig it in and then the worm rolls so that it gets its new wound away from the grittiness of the sand. So that's how it get they get the worm to carry it up. So now they're on top of the worm and then they throw ropes down to their buddies and they ride the worms. Yeah. Do you know why it's called a maker hook? No. The Fremen call Shai Hulud, the sandworm, the maker, right? Okay. Remember when uh, Dr. Kine sees the worm attack the thing? It attacks the thing, and you hear Dr. Kine say, uh, uh, bless the maker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, bless his comings and goings, and may his, something like that. May his yada, yeah. yada, yada. So he does a little prayer, right, yeah. to the worm. Yeah. Or sort of to God on the worm's behalf. Yeah. Because that's another thing. There's... A lot in the books. There's a lot of Christianity. There's a whole religious sect known as Orange Catholic, and uh, it, it's almost as if this is like a further book of the Bible, but you know, eight thousand years in the future, right? Right. Weird, wild stuff. Wes Paul learns to ride the worm. His mom takes the water of life. She becomes the new Reverend Mother. But what happens to her the inside? Ba- the baby also drinks the water. She was pregnant with Duke Leto's unborn daughter. So when she drinks the water of life, so does the little baby. The little baby is born premature, but also kind of not premature. Basically matured early, right? Yeah. So the baby comes out and it's like, boom, I'm one year old. Boom, I'm two years old. Boom, I'm three years old. But it just ages real fast. And she's born with all the wisdom and knowledge of a reverend mother. So here's this little child, a toddler, that's as smart and powerful as a high up Bene Gesserit witch. Right. How intense is that? Play by uh, Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt at maybe four years old. Tiny little kid running around holding her knife. That could smiling. not have been her voice in the movie. No, it I really don't think it was either. Um, boy, oh boy, there's still so much to go, but let's just get there. Let's plow forward so they they fight and fight and fight and they fight and they... fight and fight they they bring spice production to a standstill the emperor finally hears about this he comes to dune to he, like he bitch had, everyone out yeah he comes to complain to the harkonnens he kills the beast raban in his ultra gold ship in his ultra that ship is so gold baby um and it's basically like a spaceship that's also a palace so the emperor calls baron harkonnen over harkonnen comes in and he sees his nephew's head on a plate at the, the beast, emperor's feet. The, the beast. beast Raban has been beheaded by the emperor. And he's like, what up, Baron Harkonnen? Like, why'd you call me to Dune? And the you know, Baron's like, oh, I didn't call you. And he's like, well, guess what? Your foolish inactions and the Beast Raban's negligence over properly running this planet called me here. You're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Who the heck is Muad'Dib? Everything is turning into an S-show right now. Yeah. Paul... And the Fremen, Paul has now also drank the water of life and basically become the Kwisatz Haderach. Yeah, so he realizes that um, he can't he can't do this un- unless he drinks the... Right, the, the sleeper wa- must awaken. Yeah, so he drinks the, the water and then... Um, his eyes bleed. His eyes bleed. His mom and his sisters get big bloody noses. Yep. And Bene Gesserit who works for the emperor falls on the floor with a big bloody nose. Cause it's like, he's shaking up the whole Bene Gesserit world yeah. right now. And then all the worms are just like hanging out. Yeah. The worms looking at him. come up and they're like sort of, uh, so you can control the worms basically. bowing to him. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. We're leaving out so much, but who cares? But here's it's a the thing year old movie, but yes. here's the thing about leaving out so much. We're leaving out like half the movie, but half the movie is not important in a and way. That, you're right. And that's, and that's the thing about this, this movie. That's just, blows my mind in a way we haven't even mentioned the pug 
The pu- well, I was going to come back to the pug. pug There's a delightful my- little pug. I was going to talk about all the things I liked about the movie. All right, cool. Well, the then, then we, we will do that. All right, man. So, Paul and the Fremen, they lead a full-on attack against the Emperor's palace ship, right? They're riding on worms. They got crazy cannons on their chest. They're firing. They're blowing they ships They knock out, out these, the like, sort of, these walls that sort of, like are protecting them from the worms in the sand yeah. and they knock out the walls and all the sand comes in. Yeah. There's like a sand tidal wave. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. I wonder what shooting that was like. It's probably a model. Sandy. Yeah. Pretty gritty. Pretty sandy. Pretty gritty that day. It was a gritty day. Pretty dusty. Uh, wear your goggles folks. Um, so, so they attack, uh, Paul. Oh, Pr- princess Alia gets taken captive. I put that in air quotes and you know, she's, or not Princess Alia, but little uh, Saint Alia of the Knife, Paul's little sister, yeah, little gets taken captive. And, you know, uh, uh, the Emperor's Bene Gesserit is like, yeah, this thing's an abomination. You need to kill her. And she's like, oh, but I'm the daughter of Duke Leto. Like, I'm royalty, bro. You can't kill me. And the Emperor's like, oh, crud, what is this? So she's like, I got a message for you, right? I got a message for you, yo. My brother's coming. And he's about to blow this place up. He's pissed off. He's so mad, and he's got powers, fool. And then she kills the Baron Harkonnen, which is awesome. Yeah. She rips out his creepy, gross plugs in his chest. Yeah. And then he goes spinning off and floats out and goes right into the mouth of a worm. Yep. And that's part. that part's pretty great. Because that guy needed to die, like, in the first act. Yeah. And then it just cuts to Alia standing outside in the middle of the battle little four-year-old girl holding a great big knife and just smiling as the wind blows and a battle ranges around it, her. It's, it's, the, it's terrifying. It's the most, like, out-of-place shot in the entire <laughs> thing. It, like, it almost doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and meanwhile, the music of Toto, they've brought in some electric yeah. guitars now and everything's just shredding up. Yeah. It's great. The battle rages on. Yep. Now, the Fremen, they manage to kill a whole bunch of the enemy troops and they round everybody up and they take them into... What was the Atreides family palace there on Dune, right? Yep. They take him out of the Emperor's ship into the proper palace of the uh, uh, of the controlling family of Dune. And Paul's like, all right, you know, you're the Emperor. We got your troops here. There's the Spacing Guild. The Spacing Guild is like, yo, let this fool talk because we, we need this spice. They basically only eat spice. They're like, we're running out of our main thing that's going to yeah. turn us into navigators. You better let this fool talk, or he's going to bring space travel to a standstill. The Emperor's like, all right, what's up? And Paul notices that Fade Routha Harkonnen is still alive and yep. standing right there in the group. And he's like, yo, we vowed to kill every Harkonnen on this planet, and there's one still in there. Give him a knife and have him come out here and fight me. And the Emperor's like, well, if he wants, he can use my knife. So he gives him a small gold knife. Yeah. Paul's got his cool, uh, I forget what they're called, Chris knives? I forget what they're called. But basically what they don't explain is that the knives the Fremen use, those real cool white, sure. sexy knives, are made from the worm's teeth. Okay. Whenever they find a dead worm, yeah, they, bone. Yeah. Yeah, they make all those awesome knives out of it. Paul's like, cool. They have a crazy knife fight. Sting's jumping around, talking about how he's going to kill Paul. Paul manages, to, he almost gets a drop on him. And Paul says, I will bend like a reed in the wind. And he, boom, boom. Judo flips Sting and shoves his knife up through Sting's I was a little, jaw. I was a little uh, skeptical of that because Sting actually had an, an extra knife pop out yeah, of his he side. Yeah, he had a secret sabotage and he, knife and pop go, out of his And then you hear, oh, 
poison knife. Yeah, another one of those. Um, and then he flips them over. They're really cl- like up against each other, and they flip over on top of each other. And I was like, how did he not get cut by the poison blade? They don't show that. They don't say that. Here's it just up. doesn't happen. You're asking that question in a movie about a society that turns men into weird space fish that can create wormholes. Yeah, but... You I, just got to willingly suspend disbelief. No, because they made a point of going, of addressing that oh, the I other understand. guy... Like, we see a guy get killed with a knife, and then we have to hear the monologue about, oh, it was a poison knife. They go to the point I of explaining clear. every little thing. They don't explain how he manages he to just, not get cut. Yeah, he just slinks around it. That, that knife just... I hear you, bro. He's touching the part of that guy's body where the I knife was. Yeah. I hear you loud and clear, man. Uh, I didn't direct it. I didn't even write it. I only barely enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoy it, but for all the wrong reasons. Paul kills Fader out the Harkonnen with a knife up through his chin. Yeah, and then cool. he shouts at him, and Fader Routh's chest bursts open, and the whole the ground, ground around cracks. him cracks. Coolest part of the movie. Coolest part of the movie. And one of the Fremen, not... That special guest Fremen, which we'll get into in just a second. Okay. But one of the Fremen says, Muad'Dib doesn't even need the weirding module anymore. Yeah. He can kill with a word. Yeah. And then, uh, well, before that, somebody said, eh, forget it. So this is a much different, well, a pretty different ending from the book. Because then these Fremen priests come in and they put a robe, a big fancy sort of kingly robe around Paul. And then... Out of nowhere, what happens to the entire planet of Arrakis? It starts raining. It starts to rain. Yeah, that's cool. It is pretty cool. Because one of the f- plans of the Fremen was they had stored all this water that they, that they, yeah, they collected make from the, the air. the planet new again. Changed the surface of Arrakis. Now, I don't think that's what's going on there. A lot of people think that Paul is essentially just like making it rain with his godlike powers in that moment like a strip club i almost don't feel that that's even what's happening i feel sort of more like hodorowsky's doom where he says that the planet itself decides to change i feel like it's a little bit more of that like i think it's a combination of two things yeah i think it is paul and i think it is the planet i think paul is a part of the planet oh yeah i think when he drinks the the become drinks the water the life water yeah um, and he's like been part of the spice for so you know been eating up that spice. Yeah, I think he's a part of the planet. I and can I dig think, that. I think he's like sentient with the planet. I can I can understand that. Yeah, because in future books, Paul indeed evolves into a worm, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe his son does. But I think Paul does. Weird. Maybe his son does. But yeah, basically, you know, it's sort of like how they say dolphins and whales are man evolved. Maybe these worms evolved from an early form of man, right? Dude, so much to discuss. So, so that was time. the end of the movie, basically. That's the end of Dune. It ends much differently from the book because what happens in the book is Paul says, yo, check this out, Emperor. I'm going to marry your daughter. Chani's going to be my wife. We're going to make love and have children, but I'm going to marry your daughter. And your grandchildren are also going to be part Paul Atreides, fool. That's what you get for betraying my family. He gets two wives? Yeah. it's weird. So basically he keeps Chani as like a concubine. And is in love with her, but he marries Princess Irulan to basically say, like, hey, I'm the I'm the new emperor, basically. Like, I just brought Spice to a standstill. Guess who has all the power? Paul Atreides and the Fremen of yeah. Dune. But right. in the movie, they just make it rain. Yeah. And there you go. So the things I liked about the movie. <laughs> Name the thing you liked about the movie. So I like the sets. Sure. Um, they're a little bit cheesy at times, but I, I like, especially, like, like the gold ship and stuff. Like everything had its own style. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, I don't know. I kept, I kept thinking like that would have been really cool to be on that set. Um, and then the pug. Uh, yeah. So the Duke has a pug. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, Trady's family pug. And uh, the pug makes it through the entire film alive. Aww. So that was pretty cool. You looking at how long we've been recording? Yeah, because man, yeah, it's been a while. How long? Well. I, I can't. I can't give you an exact accurate, but maybe about an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> and we left. A oh lot God, help us! We left so movie. much out. So um, much out. That's how long it takes to explain Dune. So I, I was telling you that um, I uh, I read um, Roger Ebert's review. Oh yeah, let me hear some. He of that. gave it one star. One star. It starts with a quote. It's like a dream. My friend from Hollywood was explaining. It doesn't make any sense, and the special effects are straight from the dime store, but if you give up trying to understand it and just sit back and let it wash around in your mind, it's not bad. <laughs> All right. Um, he goes on to say, uh, It took Dune about nine minutes to completely strip me of my anticipation. This movie is a real mess, an incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of a one of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. Even the color is no good. Everything is seen through a sort of dusty yellow filter as if the film was left out in the sun too long. Yes, you might say, but the action is after all on a desert planet where there isn't a drop of water and there's sand everywhere. David lean solved that problem in Lawrence of Arabia, where he made the desert look beautiful and mysterious, not shabby and drab. Hmm. Um, the movie's plot will no doubt mean more to people who've read Herbert than to those who are walking in, in cold. That's very true. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It talks about the plot. Uh, the movie has so many characters, so many unexplained or incomplete relationships, and so many parallel courses of action that it's sometimes a toss up, whether we're watching a story or just an assembly of meditations on themes introduced by the novels. Hmm. Uh, he's actually being a little nicer to this than I thought he would be the heads of the worms begin to look more and more as if they came out of the same factory that produced Kermit the Frog Aww. they're not as good as Kermit the Frog um, the spaceships in the movie are so shabby so lacking in detail or dimension that they look almost like those student films where plastic models are shot against the tablecloth I, I get that mm. um, nobody looks very happy in this movie Actors stand around in ridiculous costumes, mouthing dialogue that has little or no context. Remember, <laughs> I, I pointed out at one point, I said, like, could you imagine being an actor and getting the script and going, like, what the hell is this? Sure. Uh, I can imagine that. They're not even given scenes that work on a self-contained basis. Portentous lines of pop profundity are allowed to hang in the air unanswered while additional characters arrive or leave on unexplained errands. Mm. Dune looks like a project that was seriously out of control from the start. There's somebody playing some loud music outside. I'll say... Sets were constructed, actors were hired, no usable screenplay was ever written. What? Everybody faked it as long as they could. Some shabby special effects were thrown into the, plot, the pot. Oh, he's saying it looks that yeah. way. Yeah, and the producers crossed their fingers and hoped that everybody who has read the books will want to see the movie. Ha <laughs> ha. Not if the word gets out, they won't. Ooh. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty right on. Um, I think he actually, I think you're right. I think he's being a little nicer than he probably needs to, especially given the history of Roger Ebert. Sometimes he yeah. just completely skewers a film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um sadly, uh, in a lot of my research, uh, it seems like David Lynch just never wants to talk about this movie at all. Can't yeah. entirely say I blame him. It's yeah. got a special place in my heart, but mostly because 
I read the book in high school. It took me months. I kind of love it. I love a lot of the concepts of it. And the movie is just a very quick way to just sort of dip back into those concepts, you know? But, you know, when I when I think of, like, um, movies of, the, of that era that are... There were a lot of sci-fi movies, especially after Star Wars. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of sci-fi movies that came out, and most of them are Short bad. Circuit. Yeah. Um, none of them really bore me. Like, wow, yeah. Like, I think to one of your favorites, Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah. Um, not a great film, but a lot of fun to watch because absolutely. it it doesn't take itself so seriously. Very true. Um, Flash Gordon absolutely knows how goofy it is yeah. at times. So, I don't know. It just... Uh, I understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I saw it. I've, I'm glad you did too. We've talked about this. I'm glad I saw it, and it's out of the way. But it's not a movie I will probably ever go back to. Honestly, <laughs> it just. I'm glad we didn't watch an extended version of it. Oh um, man! You know, you showed me that that the prologue thing. Yeah. The, the extended prologue, which was, I love, it was like said... almost seven minutes. I didn't like it. I, well, it, it immediately turned me off from the film because it's like again, it's just a bunch of like. Um, a bunch of exposition ahead of time yeah. with a whole bunch of names of people that I don't know. It can't reference. I can't really care about. Okay. Um, could you imagine if, you know, the opening crawl of star Wars? Yeah. Could you imagine if that was seven pages long? <laughs> I mean, like it wouldn't have worked. Very good point. You know? Um, and there's a reason why that it wouldn't work. And when we watched the, the film, once we put the film in and yeah. we got the, truncated version of that that With was very lovely virginia madsen it was like three sentences <laughs> it, was it was like much shorter it was and i was like okay, that's all i needed to know yeah going into it and that's that's part of the problem with this film is that it constantly thinks that you need to know more but well, probably that's... because there's a lot more information in the book i i respect that and i i acknowledge the desire to try and be true and be honest to the source material yeah but like it just wasn't needed and if they cut out all the stuff that wasn't needed in that film. That movie's an hour long. Yeah, maybe. Ooh. Bump on that mic. Ooh, boy. Sorry about that. Um, oh, so, dear. So, yeah, I mean. There it yeah. is. There's Dune. And if you viewsters out there watched it, you're welcome. But also, I'm sorry. But yeah. you're welcome. Yeah. It's a hoot. Yeah. It's a hoot of a movie. So we have... Um, Should we move on to Hodorowsky's Dune? Yeah, so here's the thing with Hodorowsky's Dune. It's almost impossible to discuss. Yeah, I mean, we can't we can't really go through scene by scene and talk about the whole journey. Right. Um, I think I think let's just kind of give it a little bit of a review. Yeah. Instead of going, like, super, super in-depth into it. Um, I love it. Essentially, it's, it's the telling of um, Alejandro Hodorowsky... Um, who did some really, really crazy films. Um, if you've ever seen The Holy Mountain... I have not. Uh, well, for the Viewsters, if you've ever seen Holy Mountain, um, you kind of know. Uh, he's he's a surrealist, and um, a lot of the stuff doesn't really feel like it makes sense. Um, there's usually a reason behind most of the things that he does, but sometimes there isn't. Sometimes, um, you know... Uh, things happen on on camera because they just happen yes um as as life is right sometimes just stuff happens in life um but uh he's a visual um genius um i think back to the holy mountain in the rainbow room and um 
Yeah, that rainbow room is intense. It's, it's really cool. I mean, it's just really, really cool. And then that that pile of like Jesus mannequins that mm-hmm. the uh, that the other guys walking through and just all that wild. Yeah, could you like, imagine being a production designer on that? Yeah, it's craziness. Oh my gosh! Let's dig into Hodorowski's dude. So, so this guy. Well, it opens with a quote, and I'm actually ashamed yes, of myself. So I right asked now. about that when we when it came up. It opens with a quote, and the quote is what is to give light must be willing to endure burning. Okay. I think that's a pretty awesome quote for this movie because what is ultimately happening is Hodorowski is saying, I'm here trying to make this version of Dune that's going to like expand change the consciousness of the world. Yeah, he said it was life-changing. It would change people's lives. Right. And so he's willing to endure the burning of giving that light. And right. I think that's pretty amazing. Victor Frankl. Yeah. I'm ashamed to admit that I forgot who Victor Frankl was. I, and I didn't know who it was. So. Victor Frankl was a scientist and mm-hmm. a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow. Who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which okay. is about his experience in the concentration camps. Wow. I think Auschwitz, but maybe maybe a different camp. But I had to read it in college. Yeah. And it is just like tear your heart out. You know, just... I mean, it's about living through the concentration camps. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty much as harrowing a tale as you could ever possibly imagine. And it's about his true life experience. Um, one of the stories I always remember from it is uh, there's a moment where, you know, his particular, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, bunkhouse has been given, like, a pot of soup, right? Yeah. And um, – there's this one guy getting kind of greedy, waiting for his bowl of soup to get it dished up. And he's like, no, man, like, scoop mine from the bottom. I want some of the food that's settled to the bottom. Scoop mine from the bottom. And I think it's Frankel himself or maybe one of the other guys starts laughing. And they're just like, what are you laughing about, dude? We haven't eaten in days. What's so funny? And he's like, he's like I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm imagining all of us as old men looking back on this moment. And just thinking how funny it was that what's his name over there was saying, no, no, scoop from the bottom, scoop mine from the bottom. And it's like, it's just like the idea that that dude had that kind of hope in that moment. You know what I mean? It's like, there's something just so beautiful about that. Um, But yeah, man's search for meaning. It's not a long book and it, you know, frankly should be required reading. It's intense, terrifying stuff. So, um, so Hodorowsky made these, these films, these kind of crazy, really far out there films, really far out there. Um, he he was a an interesting artist. Yeah. Um, sometimes people are artists, and they sort of um, they're real humble, and they um, sort of reject the idea that they're artists because sure. they never see their stuff as like good enough. And um, he, he was not one of those people. Hodorowski was very, uh, he even says, like, I demand that, like, my dreams make it onto the screen. Right. Yeah. So he, um, he's kind of like an artist snob. Sure. Um, I can see that. And uh, so he, he went out to essentially, so if you can imagine the movie Ocean's Eleven. All right. Okay. If Ocean's Eleven, if that, the crew, George yeah. Clooney, well, I mean, I'm talking about the new one. You guess you look at the Sinatra one too, but yeah, I get what you mean. Clooney and Brad Pitt, um, they're like snobby. They're like we are the artists of thieves. Right. Like, they know that they are as good as they the, are. We're the greatest ever, and we are infallible. Yeah. 
I need to put together the best team of the most infallible people because we're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Rip off this casino. If they were snobby people, that's essentially what this film is about. Um, Hodorowski Mm -hmm. was um, Danny Ocean trying to put together the perfect team to change the world. I can agree Um, with that. I don't know that the rest of them were all that snobby, though. Well, I mean, when you think about, like, Salvador Dali. Well, sure. Um... And I feel I like think, Mobius and certainly and I think, H.R. Giger came across as a non-snob. Yeah, but like they even went to go and talk to, before they got Dan O'Bannon, yeah. um, the guy that they... Trumbull. Trumbull, Bill Trumbull, yeah. um, was one of those people. And that's what drew them to him, is that he was this artist who created this thing in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. Um, but then Hodorowsky says like he he didn't have any spiritual warrior he, in him. Yeah. It, read between the lines is he <laughs> he can't work with another ego like that because his ego Touché. is like that. So um, a, what what Hodorowski and this is maybe the smartest people do this. Yeah, um, I think you know so even someone like Donald Trump, who I I don't think is an intelligent person, but <laughs> I think he's very business. His act business acumen is is sure is pretty smart. Um, he Hodorowski surrounded himself with people who would um, do what he wanted them to do yeah. and would drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah, but also were, were perfectly talented. skilled to bring his ideas I to the page and to the screen. I don't know that Dan O'Bannon's, uh, like, they showed Dark Star and a clip from Dark Star, and that was, like, the thing that convinced them that this was the guy to do their film. Like, I don't think that's a great resume fodder for, for doing this <laughs> epic Dune thing. Like, but uh, what they did, Dark Star. but what I think they probably did see was there's a dude who's, like, a free spirit yeah. who um, w- I can tell him to sell all of his belongings and go to Paris, and he's going to do it. And, and he did. And that's what happened. And uh, I'm not sure that Dan O'Bannon was, like, the best man for the job, but he was the easiest man to convince. You may be right about that. Um, you may be right about that. So so Hodoreski puts together this, this – He's the, like I said, he's the Danny Ocean, and he puts together this Yeah, you got team. Mobius. You got Dan O'Bannon. You got Giger. H.R. Giger. Chris Foss. Who am I forgetting? Um, um, David Carradine. David Carradine. That was a great story about, yeah, about yeah. David Carradine coming and eating all of his vitamin E. <laughs> but again, like he, he's finding these sort of like moldable, like you yeah. know, free spirits, right? What about the uh, what about the Mick Jagger story? Um, when he talks about how I wanted Mick Jagger to play, and I Mick think Jagger was, was just like, yeah, fade Ralph the Harkonnen. Think, well, he says, and I go into this party, and yeah. I I see Mick Jagger across the room, and he just starts walking right up to me, and I say, yeah. I want to put you in a movie, and he just said yes, and like yeah. that's pretty wonderful. But like the Pink Floyd thing was like yeah. a really good example of. <laughs> uh, so in the so in the film, just to remind people, so he he wants to have um, each of the different like planets that the people are from. They'll all have different themes. The different yeah. families will have different themes. So one of the themes was going to be um, he was going to have Pink Floyd to do. Yeah, do the I think Planet Caladan. Who's that? Who's from that? The Atreides. The Atreides. Family, the okay. Good guys. So the good guys will be the, all their music will be Pink Floyd. And so he went to go meet with Pink Floyd, and they're all eating hamburgers. And this is where that like snobby mentality comes yeah. from, and the ego comes in. And they're all like, like it's like they should have not been eating. Yeah. Or they should have put their hamburgers down, or they should have been eating something better for this momentous occasion mm. because his ego is so big, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it was it, it was really interesting. Um, he, the guy's definitely a genius and definitely super super talented. He's on to something. Um, 
and I remember while we were watching it, I, 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 first of all, let me say, I enjoyed this movie a lot. I love it. Um, it was about a topic that I don't care about. Um, Dune? Dune. Yeah, it was about Dune. I don't. But it's also about filmmaking. But it's about filmmaking. They found a art and, you know. Yeah, but I don't know if I would, I would be that into like a documentary about some other films that I don't like either. Sure. Um, but they found a engaging way to tell absolutely this story. Um, a, a big piece of it is the interviews that they had, and even the fact that Dan O'Bannon isn't alive anymore, and they had audio recordings for yeah, him. That was pretty um, awesome. Helped really well, and then they also used um, you know modern film critics, people who are prone to enjoying sci-fi, right? Um, like Drew McWeeny from Hitfix. What up, so, Drew? What up, Drew? He's not listening to this. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Is it? I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the documentary quite a bit. I enjoyed it much more than Dune. Well, sure. Um, it's a much more enjoyable thing to watch. And I'm glad that it came up in this way. I am because too. if I had seen Dune, I never would have watched Hodorowski's Dune unless oh, I had been wow. made to do it. So, um, you know, I uh, I appreciate the documentary. Um, I love it. So let's talk about some of the other things that we liked about the about the documentary. About the documentary, there's so much. I like I like that he involved his son in his work. Yeah, that was wild. Um, Talking about like, oh, I'm just going to have my son do it, and I'm going gonna, gonna to make him. What is it? It said it said that he made him train with that Vino guy seven days a week, seven days a week, six hours a day, training in karate and jujitsu and judo. Yeah, he learned like three different kinds of martial arts. He learned how to. That is insane. Uh, he learned how to uh, fight with knives. He learned how to fight with swords. Yeah, he said he had to learn acrobatics. Yeah. Like, that is wild. Yeah, that's For really For two crazy. years, seven days a week, six hours a day. Yeah. Holy moly. That's crazy. Holy um, moly. But his son, like, appreciated it, you know? Like, he has an, has an appreciation for what he went through. and I, and I love want for to meet his, him in a dark alley, that's yeah. for sure. And he has love for his father. Yeah. Despite, like, he, some other stories that say that, that something like that would happen, the people would resent the father. Yeah. Um, and he has an appreciation for who his father is. I think he knows who his father is. Yeah. You know? Um, I thought it was interesting that in, it, when Brontus, the son, is telling a story at one point, he just refers to his dad as Alejandro. I yeah. I thought that was very that was interesting. interesting. I don't think he ever said my dad. I think he yeah. almost always just referred to him as Alejandro. That's pretty wild. I love the story about uh, Salvador Dali demanding $100,000 per hour. And how they convinced and, and him to do the, the role. So they, they wanted, they so wanted Salvador Dali to play the emperor. Yeah. And it's not a very long scene. And uh, and Dali wanted $100,000 an hour. He wanted to be the highest paid actor in yeah. Hollywood. And uh, and so they came back and they were like, well, how long is... Let's pay him for how much we actually use. So what if we said $100,000 per minute? Yeah. And he'll be like the $100,000 per minute guy. Yeah. And of course, that's like, what a cool title, you know? Per, per minute on the screen. On screen. Yeah. What's actually used. So great. Yeah. It was really, really smart. Um, yeah. I... Uh, no pugs in this. No pugs in this one. A kitty cat. Yeah, at cat, one point, Podorowski brings his Siamese cat into the frame. H.R. Giger, live and on camera. That guy is a trip yeah. to watch, man. Like it's funny because it's like, I mean, he's responsible for just some of the most nightmarish imagery, maybe ever. You yeah. know, I mean, he designed the alien from Aliens. That is yeah. a scary, scary thing. Yeah. And then on camera, he's, you know, just kind of this, like... Portly. 
just yeah just a little bit of a chubby kind of sweet. sweet kind of almost like he doesn't exactly want to be interviewed but you know he's 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 enduring it with a smile on his face in gruyere and uh and gruyere was he eating gruyere no he was in gruyere oh in where, gruyere where gruyere cheese comes from there you go but yeah like it's just so it was so wild i don't think i'd ever seen i don't think i'd ever seen geiger in an interview before this movie I no, I've never uh, even seen. I've never even seen a photo of the guy. I'm not like a Giger fan or anything. Sure. I mean, I appreciate his work. Yeah, um, but I, I'm not like. A, you never like hunted him down. No, stalked him. No, at all. That's I mean, good. I have friends that Don't have do that to anyone. I have friends that have like books, Giger books. Yeah. but that's not not my thing. Wild stuff. Richard Stanley shows up a couple times. He's got a pretty fun uh, documentary about him trying to make. Uh, well, starting to make the like the first half of. The Island of Dr. Moreau with right. Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. And then about, you know, the fiasco that became that whole production. That's, yeah. a, that's a doozy of a movie right there, man. I suggest you watch it. It should still be on Netflix. It's called Lost Souls. Right. You'll get a kick out of it. And I also just watched uh, Richard Stanley's Hardware on Netflix the other day. Yeah. I've not seen it. That's, uh, that's something else. <laughs> uh, not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of really disgusting language in it. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, Dylan McDermott versus a robot. Okay, I um, I liked that uh, this movie. Like, ultimately, the sad part is that their their journey didn't really amount to anything. Yeah, um, because people just didn't understand him. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. I don't think it would have been a life changing film. His movie. I don't think um, we'll never know. I mean, they show us a lot of the, what he had planned. Yeah. Um, and knowing the limitations of the age, um, I think it would have been really dated. I think it would have. Come, I think now it would because like it's interesting how dated Star Wars is, but how well it holds up. Right. Um, I think, I think this like idea of the future and what he wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I think there's some parts of it that were genius, like the extremely long shot. That yeah, he wanted to do at the beginning was was genius. And when they show that, just in that super, like crude artwork, yeah, and the, it's all still the awesome yeah, looking. The storyboards, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it would. I would like to see that movie. Yeah, um, I would absolutely love. I would to. love for somebody to make it. I wonder what it would take to get it made like that. I wonder if John Hodgman's story about Peter Berg on an airplane could lead. To those guys deciding we are going to make Hodorowski's Dune. Yeah, somehow doubt that Peter Berg. Peter Peter Berg is definitely his own kind of filmmaker. Sure. I'd be really surprised to see him to one venture out of his comfort zone into something so yeah. surreal. Um but also Yeah, and also like to basically say, Well, to hell with all of my shots, let's use all this guy's <laughs> shots. I, I right. somehow doubt that's gonna happen, but you never know, I guess. You um, never, never know. It, it, it'd be so wild, like to be able to see those ideas with today's special effects. Well, it's interesting. At the forget end, about it, man. At, Holy at the, moly! At the end of the documentary, they show all these like shots that are inspired by, um, or maybe were ripped off, or whatever. Oh yes, you had a you uh, took a little bit of umbrage with that. Well, moment. I I felt like they were making an implication hmm. that. Um, because right before that, they make a point of saying, um, all of the studios got this book. Right. The and then they all, t- and then they, they all together. turned me down and then they all use stuff from my book. Yeah. Kind of implying that maybe the studios kind of stole this, the ideas. 
Um, but if you read the fine print, if you look at the, if you read what they don't say, yeah, what they put on in text on the screen, um, several of the instances where it was very clear that they used, yeah, uh, stuff from the Dune, uh, Bible, yeah, the Bible, um, the same people that he had put on his team sure. were working on those projects and not just working on those projects, but like working in the same capacity on those projects. Yeah. Um, where it was like a Giger thing, um, working with Ridley, working Scott, with Ridley Scott, alien and uh, he did alien, um, blade runner, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Prometheus and they show, they show yeah. like some similar stuff from Prometheus, but it's like that, those things, like if it was a different designer yeah. and they used those things, I would have like bought into it. Hmm. But the fact that it was Giger and Ridley Scott had such a close relationship yeah. and it was those things and the same, same thing. It was like um, somebody else in Mobius had worked on yeah. Mobius had worked on this movie and it was like, they were uh, sort of implying uh, they did a, a similarity between Mobius's designs for the emperor and Skeletor from the masters. Right. Of the Universe. And Mobius worked on masters of the universe yeah. as the designer. So it's like, it's like, um, if it had been a different designer and then they had those things, I would have All been right. like, I would have totally bought it. But I felt like the implication was unlike Dune, they didn't explain things, you know, like interesting. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I do acknowledge that even if you exclude that idea that, that they took, that maybe the studios, uh, stole his work. Yeah. Um, if you exclude that idea, it does show how influential and how smart those things, those decisions and those designs were because they definitely that. worked in those other things. Oh yeah. So even gold Skeletor. Yeah. Even gold Skeletor. Like, even when that moment ha- happens in, in masters of the universe, right. Skeletor goes from his usual white faced, you know, dark cloaked hooded self yeah. to this crazy gold antlered demigod it's <laughs> right. still cool yeah it's still really cool uh it's still unfortunately impressive. it's in masters of the universe <laughs> yeah. but yeah so i mean it's it is really neat to see like how uh influential i don't know if i bought the raiders of the lost ark stuff but uh... uh oh i felt like those similarities were real close well there's there was a few times that and a couple other things i can't remember off the top of my head where i thought um oh it was something else that had to that started out in space contact maybe contact where it was like i've had that idea like okay and i i, I had never seen dune or hodorowsky's dune like yeah. it's not like it's there are some instances where i think you can have similar ideas yeah um and that's just what happens with artists right like artists are always thinking of a new way to do something and I, I don't think it's unheard of for two different artists to do the same thing. Um, Fair enough. We're seeing that right now with Amy Schumer and uh, people are saying that she's stealing jokes and things and she's claiming, Hey, you know, sometimes uh, comedians will, will have, will think the same, mm-hmm. you know, this... and do really, really similar jokes. And it happens. It happens. Um, so, uh, so I'm not sure I bought all of them. All right. Um, all right. Just cause you have a long shot going through space. I don't think that's you stealing from uh Hodorowski. I certainly don't think he's the first person to think of it either. Name 
a movie other than 2001 that involves space. Right. So it's like other than – it's like name something <laughs> other than something that was done before he even considered doing Dune. So it's like – Yeah. You know um, – it's a loud cars outside. I'll say. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't buy all of that. But um, would you ever watch this documentary again? Probably not. Really? Um, I'm thinking about watching it again tonight. I think once was enough for me. Um, oh, I love it. I think not because of the documentary so much, but because of the subject matter. I just don't care about Dune. Oh, I didn't wow. care about Dune, and I didn't want to watch it prior to this. I'm glad I've seen it. <laughs> I still don't care about it, though. Um, I don't feel like um, David Lynch's Dune has any lasting impact on Hollywood or science fiction films. Um, I think if somebody made Hodorowski's Dune, I think I would be interested in checking it out. Yeah, um, absolutely. I do think that the story of Hodorowski's Dune yeah. does have an impact on Hollywood and does have a place. Um, but it's just not... It's still, nevertheless, a topic I don't really care about. I would have to, it would have to be, I would have to have some time away from it. Yeah. And probably the scenario would be somebody who, like, I was talking about it with someone. Yeah. They didn't know the story. And I was like, well, you probably need to see the story. Then maybe watch it with them. All right. Um, But I definitely recommend it to people. Me too. Did you know that Dune got me on the California Screaming Roller Coaster the other night? Did it? Yup. Explain. All right. So we were, you know, Tiff was there and she was like, oh, oh yeah, Tiff. sure. Tiff's I'd, the best. I'd, you know, I'd be really impressed if you rolled that roller coaster. And I was like, that's kind of how it happened. It. It's kind of how it happened. A little bit. But like doing, he's leaving stuff out. Did it, what ultimately did the trick was I remembered the line, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that leads to total obliteration. And I said, you know what? I'm done being afraid of this roller coaster. <laughs> I think you're a filthy yes, liar right now. Yes, this beautiful brunette is saying she'll be impressed and that she'll have some sort of special treat for us when we get off the roller coaster. Yeah. But also, I need to face this fear. I think you're a filthy liar. No, this is absolutely true. Really? I was at that podium and I was just like, I was listening to Tiff and I, was, I had my own inner monologue whispering. And it said, you know what this is, man? This is a fear. Fear is the mind killer. That's and funny. I was like, got to do it. Got to so, ride that roller coaster, man. So for those that don't follow our Instagram uh, or didn't see it on Facebook or Twitter, uh, Steve and I, we talked about in the last episode we were going to go to Disneyland. The next day. We, we, are, we did. We are men of our word. Uh, and we we went to Disneyland. And Steve um, has ridden just about every ride at Disneyland, uh, both parks, as have I. Yeah. Um, but, and I'm always trying to get him to go on this roller coaster called California Screaming. It's an intense um, ride. It's got a loop. Uh, I like loops. And I sp- spent a significant amount of our, our evening near the end of the night. There were sort of several uh, salvos of yeah. influential attack. Like we should do this. I don't know, kind of attack. But, um, <laughs> but then there was a moment where it was like I could see it in his eyes like he could do it. Yeah. He could do it. And then you got a, brood, a beautiful brunette involved, and sometimes yeah, that's all it takes. that worked. Well, and then when she said, I'll have something for you when you get off, I was like, we got to go on it. We so, got to go on so it. So we did that go helped. on it. She, but she, Dune is what ultimately kicked me onto that roller coaster. But the reward. 
was a handwritten button. A handwritten button. And she gave us free churros. Two free churros. So that was, and that was my first Disneyland churro. I've been going to Disneyland for years and. It's pretty tasty. Never had a churro in the park before. I don't know if it's worth four twenty five, but it's pretty tasty. It was pretty good. It was certainly great free. Del Taco makes better churros. Uh, I don't know. Okay. There I said it, two for 99 cents. I, I, you know what? Um, we got churros that were fresh and hot as well. True. They were like, the guy was like, can you wait a minute and I'll True make you that, good yeah. new ones? And we we're like, yeah. Tiff, if you're listening, we'll see you soon, I imagine. Yeah, I hope so. I'm going back soon enough. I, I got to so. go twice this month, baby. Hey. We should draw the next movie. We should. Present so, the Muppet Bucket. All right. I get to pick this for you to watch with who? You're going to be watching this movie with... Daniel Weiss. Daniel Weiss, star of FX's... <laughs> uh, the People versus O.J. People versus American, American Crime, Story. Crime Story. The People versus O.J. Simpson. Well, let's say flip the title around. Now it's The People versus O.J. Oh. American Crime Story because people were getting it confused with American Crime. There's that other show, American Crime. Yeah. Understandable. So uh, Daniel Weiss will be joining me for next week's episode uh, where we are going to watch. Drossy, do it. Oh, my guy's taking so long. Oh, man. It is. Ooh. Woody Harrelson in yeah. Rampart. All right. I have seen Rampart. I have not. Uh, in for hmm. a treat, huh? I'm trying to remember what I liked and loved about Rampart, but I'll, you know, I'll save it for after you guys see it. So, um, so Daniel and I have our own bucket for his, he's going to come on occasionally and help out. Um, and, uh, and I've got another one or two people that will also do occasional um, guest spots. But uh, so each person is getting their own bucket. So, oh, yeah, yeah it's pretty exciting. Um, so I'll let Daniel know what we're going to watch and uh, we'll get on that for next week. Looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. Will you listen to it? I'll absolutely listen to it. Sweet. I mean, it's, you know, it's still our show. Yeah. I'll absolutely listen yeah. to it. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening and sticking with us through this long episode. If you um, made it all the way through this and still haven't seen Dune and Hodorowski's Dune, do yourself a yeah. favor and go watch both. At, at least watch Hodorowski's Dune. Um, uh, just a reminder, we're go- I swear we're going to one movie <laughs> and we're, we're changing up the host, although that changing up the host is not by my choice. Um, because it's I love just, I love I'm, having Steve. I'm on getting here. too busy, man. It's too busy, but and I gotta you know I gotta I'm trying to juggle all these different things. Yeah, and I don't want to give any one thing up. Yeah. Well, thank you again to uh, Steve, and thank you, thank you to the listeners, and especially thank you to Dwayne for doing our intro once again. Um, you yeah. are a minch. Oh, as, and hey, uh, thanks to uh, Travis Stevens for always uh, supporting our texts yeah our tweets about hodorowsky's dune travis stevens is a producer on uh on hodorowsky's dune so um thank you very much i enjoyed the movie and uh i might watch it again right now say it bon cinema <laughs>